And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. of the Hagman and Hagman Report. It is Friday, June 23rd, 2017. This broadcast is brought to you by, uh, well, our fine friends, Joe. I want you to, I want you to introduce our fine friends there. Yeah, this, uh, tonight's show is brought to you by Portable Solar LLC.com. Portable Solar LLC.com. You're going to hear more about them later. Yeah. Uh, state of the art solar equipment, uh, able to, Cut back on the electricity and depend more on the power of the sun with solar energy. More on that later. Yeah. Thank you for doing that. I, I really appreciate that. And the reason I, I asked you to do that is because he was studying all of this all day with respect studying. to the, well, you know, we're doing the research on it. Uh, a lot of news to get into today. Uh, I was earlier this week when I appeared on Coast to Coast AM with George Nori, we were talking or he had asked me to uh, weigh in on the attack in the, uh, at the Flint, Michigan airport. And I had gotten some additional information today. Of course, there appears to be more of, uh, of an integration. Um, and we're getting information now. There's more of an integration between the Muslim Brotherhood interests and local mosques. We found this out two different ways. One from a source that, uh, works with terrorism inside the Department of Homeland Security, as well as the, uh, the fragments or the, uh, I guess I would say fragments of the investigation from Flint, Michigan, the, the stabbing there. Although it, it was a so-called lone wolf terrorist attack, there is a network, of course, of enforcement or reinforcement for such people. Now, I just want to keep uh, people's uh, draw people's attention to this because this is not going to get any better, of course. And there is this really interesting um, dynamic that's playing out within the Christian community, where there 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 appears to be this acquiescence by by the Christian evangelicals, or at least some of them to accept or to to reach out to the Muslim community, even work side by side with them to their own peril. And this is something that we have to we have to watch on a local level. And I think it's it's being understated and underreported. So I want to bring that out, the Muslim Brotherhood activity here within the United States. And of course that goes it that goes hand in hand to the Huma Abedin uh relationship of, of um Huma Abedin to Hillary Rodham Clinton. And again, folks, I, I believe this is important enough to really, to really kind of lead off with this. Huma Abedin, don't forget, her father, Syed Abedin, and mother, uh, uh, who, father's deceased, of course, Saleh, uh, the very well integrated with the, uh, Institute of Muslim Minority Affairs, and the, uh, uh, the, very much the Muslim Brotherhood slash Muslim Sisterhood. The infiltration that has come forth 
from the Clinton State Department, the Islamic infiltration that has occurred during and as a consequence of the Hillary Clinton State Department, uh, the internal infiltration of our government and the infiltration of our local communities by Muslim Brotherhood operatives is now becoming more and more evident. And that the reason I said that is to say this. What we saw, I believe, and this is based on my research and investigation, Joe's investigation and research, Eric's um, uh, tremendous uh, abilities to kind of get into places on the Internet that uh, I otherwise would not be able to or we, we could not. The bottom line with this is we're seeing... Uh, we're going to be seeing more attacks like this. Now, lone wolf attacks, yes, but there's really no such thing as a lone wolf attack. There's always some level of either complicity, facilitation, or at least knowledge. Having said that, watch for more of this. Now, in addition to that, watch for the violence of the progressives as well to increase. And it's interesting when, when we do investigations about the uh, Muslim infiltration, as I had mentioned, in the United States. At the very same time, and it's almost like they're 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 joined at the hip. There's there's the Muslim infiltration and the threat of Muslim violence against the non-Muslims in the United States that's rising. And consistent with that is the progressive. Uh, violence or the uh, violence by the progressives. Now we saw that manifest itself in the Alexandria, Virginia shooting, of course, uh, last week. But but equally, if not well, equally important. And I don't want to understate the importance of that. But equally important is the coordination, the level of coordination, which which mimics the Muslim Brotherhood coordination and, uh, and such, is the level of coordination of groups like Antifa, Indivisible, and all of these other foot groups under the umbrella of larger groups like Revcom and Resist and such, these revolutionary communist groups. So we're seeing an increase in violence and the threat of violence. On the one side, uh, the Islamic component, and on the other side, the progressive left component. And uh, Mike Cernovich, I think, sent out a, 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 a notice where riots by Antifa are being planned in Washington, D.C. today. There's rumors, there's uh, uh, murmurs, more appropriate, about potential violence taking place cities, across the cities in the United States, sponsored by Antifa and groups operating in conjunction with Antifa. So, folks, keep your eyes out for this. In the United States, the rise, again, the rise in coordination and potential violence, as we see um, on the left, that's the progressive left, as well as the Islamic component that had been, that has been facilitated and fostered and allowed to fester within our government, as well as... Um, well, throughout the uh, uh, throughout the, the United States as well, and and this applies to Canada too, equally. Now, Canada is a little bit different because the animus against the leadership there is not as great as as it is in the United States. 
So this is what we're taking. This is what we're seeing right now. These are. This is perhaps the headline that I would like to uh, that I would like everyone to kind of walk away with. If you get nothing else, the domestic situation here in the United States is extremely volatile. Look at what's taking place in Europe and various countries there. That violence. You've got the Islamic component over there in Europe and in various areas, and then you've got the uh, uh, the political uprisings, the political issues. It's going to happen here, and it's it, it, watch for it anytime. I mean, anytime this weekend, and as the summer progresses, this the threat is going to is going to be much greater. So I wanted to lead off with that. We've got a great program lined up for you today. We've got. Uh, Pastor Mike Spaulding coming in at the bottom of the hour. We're going to have Gerald Salani weigh in on matters of ec- economic matters. And, of course, to round out the program, uh, Bill Salas talking about geopolit- geopolitics and Middle Eastern affairs at the um, 8.30 hour. So that's the lineup for tonight. I would ask everyone listening to this broadcast, please support us. Please support our broadcast. We ask, we pray that you do. We thank you if you have. And if, you, if you're unable to do that, hey, spread the word about our broadcast. Post our broadcast on your social networking uh, platforms. Follow us on social networking. We've got, we, you know, we've got our own individual uh, uh, Twitter feeds. We have our own or our collective Twitter feed with Hagman Report. Same with Facebook. We ask that you that you join us. Come on board. So again, thank you so much for your support. It's number one. And number two, uh, if you can't support us, then uh, pray for us we, and spread the word. Word of mouth is always good. We really appreciate that. Um, and I want to thank, lastly, be, be before uh, before I kick it over to Joe, I do want to thank uh, Joe, of course, Eric, the tech, uh, my daughter Jackie, John, the producer and program director, for all of their hard work. I think, folks, you can see that our program is stepping up a little bit. We have to step up because the times are changing, obviously. We are in a very uh, precarious, I believe, a very precarious time in, in history, unlike any other time, and the, at least in modern times. And I see that we have some potential situations that will arise. The uh, Joe, come on in, because I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you something here. All right. Um, Donald Trump, the you you had you had obviously you had mentioned something to me about uh, James Comey today, and yeah. now in the context, and you can explain. We talked about that, of course, but my concern here, as I as I look out over the open source information that's available to everyone, but when you when you essentially when you uh, uh, collate all of this yourself, or when you uh, when you look at each individual open source bit of intelligence, you analyze this and put it against, weigh it against your, our own sources that we have developed, whether it's inside the media or inside the beltway, uh, inside law enforcement, which we have. And then, of course, our own investigators out there, volunteer investigators who are infiltrating other networks, including but not limited to Antifa, and other other uh, so socialist uh, communist causes, we're seeing, and I believe this to be the case. We're seeing the uh, continued intent to delegitimize 
the president and the presidency, to delegitimize President Donald Trump and to delegitimize the president, the office of the presidency. And I think that this, well, not I think, based on the assessment professional analysis, this is the ultimate objective, and that is to take down our government from within. And when I say from within, I'm talking about the Obama holdouts that continue to exist within our government to those recently discharged. And that brings me to what you were talking about earlier today, and that's James Comey. Yeah, Yeah, um, we got an email today, and somebody sent us an article to the Gateway Pundit, and I saw the email after I already saw the initial picture. Now, this is interesting. Um, James Comey was spotted entering the New York Times office yesterday. There's a picture of him and his wife walking in the front door. The Daily Mail reported that the former FBI Director Comey made a quiet visit to the New York Times, one of a few public outings since he's admitted leaking stories to the newspaper about President Trump. Comey, uh, then it goes on to describe what he was. Now, there are some reports that he was attending some sort of um, benefit for abused children. I have not seen that that verified. But um, interestingly enough, there's a, a story on the Daily Caller, you know, right on time from this afternoon, with ominous, ominous tweet, Comey Powell suggests bombshell story is soon to drop. A longtime friend of Comey is teasing what could be a bombshell story about the former FBI director and his interactions with President Trump. Benjamin Witz, a senior fellow at the Brookings Institute, posted an ominous message on Twitter on Friday and uh, with the words tick, 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 tick. Anyway, um, regardless of Comey's going to the newspapers to, you know, tell them whatever he's going to tell them, I put absolutely no credibility in anything he says. Anything he he had that was a bombshell, he had more than one opportunity to explain that in his testimony, with his testimony. There has been nothing. So this is just more par for the course, what we've seen with the Washington Post, the New York Times, continuing to use anonymous sources to uh, fabricate articles. So where will this come from, and... and um, will it have Comey's name on it? That's the, the real questions that I have here. But the, um, again, Comey was spotted going into the New York Times building, uh, yesterday and a few people caught him on camera and uh, some articles were written about him. It's really interesting. You were talking about the political violence. Uh, I'm not sure how many people saw this. Yeah. There's a, um, uh, a Nebraska Democratic Party official whose name is Phil Montag. He is a, Technology, he's on the technology committee as a volunteer. He got caught on an open mic saying the following about Steve Scalise. His whole job is to get people, convince Republicans to, and there's a lot of swearing in here, I'm going to skip that obviously, uh, to kick people off health care. I'm glad he got shot. I wish he died. I wish he was dead, uh, the recording said. He had to uh, step away from his position as the tape was made public. And we see this. This is a, you know, the, the constant um, rhetoric of violence. Yesterday or two days ago, Johnny Depp made a, a joke. When was the last time an actor assassinated a president? That's right. Now he is um, walking that back. On the, There is no walking that back, though, Joe, is No, there? no, there's not. I actually was watching CNN this morning and saw um, the folks over there, you know, talk about how detestable this was and how terrible it was. I was kind of surprised. Uh, that's the first time I've actually seen them point out, you know, uh, 
talk of assassinating the president or violence toward the president yep. and and say it was not good. <laughs> I guess that's a, <laughs> it's that's like, not oh, good. It's terrible. It's right. It's unfortunate. Right. This should never happen. But uh, there's there's some interesting stories up on the front left of Drudge, eleventh Hollywood star to imagine violence against Trump, and then they also go through uh, thirty Republican congressmen attacked and threatened, and uh, you can also get the recording of the Democratic official in Nebraska. Did, did you know? Speaking of the violence against Donald, President Donald Trump, did you know? You, you and, and I, I know I cut you off midstream there, but before I forget this, and perhaps uh, maybe I'm the last person to really know this. Um, MSNBC, Elise Jordan, two Republicans, defending uh, defending Trump is like hugging a suicide yeah, bomber. Uh, but but here's the kicker, and maybe I'm the last human alive to really know this. Did you, do you know that Elise Jordan, who said that, is the widow of Michael Hastings? No. All right. Does, does that surprise anyone out there? A little bit. Michael Hastings, Rolling Stone reporter, died in that horrific car, air quotes, accident. Elise Jordan, MSNBC, defending uh, Donald Trump is like hugging a suicide bomber. A detestable thing to say yeah. is the widow of Michael Hastings. That's really interesting. I'm going to have to look more into that. Um, and a kind of an interesting story. It's been on the, the front of Dredge all day. There's a number of other people that picked it up. I'd say it's it's pretty important. Um, the Senate Judiciary Committee has asked the old Attorney General under Obama, Loretta Lynch, to respond to allegations of political interference in the FBI's inve- email investigation into Hillary Clinton. And uh, the inquiry was prompted by a series of media reports raising questions about whether Lynch tried to stifle the investigation into former Secretary of State Clinton's use of a private email server. Fired FBI Director also suggested in a recent testimony in front of the Senate that Lynch sought to downplay the investigation. Now, uh, I find this interesting. Will we see her be called to testify? And then if she is called, will she testify or will she plead the fifth uh, or refuse like she did when probed about the Obama-Iraq or Iran uh, nuclear deal where she said she was not going to The, the information, by the way, testify. I, just, I want to say this. What, what, what we've been getting, what I've been getting, is that there is going to, there will be... Um, there is an investigation that's under the radar right now of Loretta Lynch and of other people within, at one time inside the Department of Justice. Um, now, this is in conjunction with the Inspector General and others. Now, will this go anywhere? I don't know. But Loretta Lynch, I believe, and it was told to me today, during a uh, conversation with with one one source, Loretta Lynch, once people know what Loretta Lynch has done, it's going to make Eric Holder look like a choir boy. Did you see Eric Holder announced that he was becoming part of the resistance and is inquiring about raising money to run for president in 2020? I did see that. Okay. Now, uh, how plausible is that? No, no, it, it's, 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 um, from his own lips. Uh, but I mean, no, how, but how plausible would oh, he be 20? No, no. You know, yeah, exactly. I mean, he'd be God lucky if he there. even made it to a Democratic primary. Um, he's got no future in, in politics, at least in politics where you need to be elected. Right. To do the job. I don't see any American, uh, voting for him. He, you know, he, uh, 
he would get smeared in a campaign. He was, what, the only attorney, attorney general ever to be held in contempt of Congress. He's got all these different scandals uh, that he was a part of, starting with Fast and Furious. He's been, uh, you know, militant with his his uh, left politics, left-leaning politics, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the social justice movement. He, There's no way. He couldn't even win a local election, I don't believe. I'd be surprised if he did. No, it, it, I would be as well. But nonetheless, the again, the objective here is to take down the president, take down the presidency. And I, and I make that distinction um, because I think it's important. Once you, obviously, the the progressive communist left, they're after the they're after Donald Trump. They're after him personally. They're after, but they're especially after the office of the presidency to delegitimize that. And when you've got that level of resistance, as they call it, that level of um, fight, you're looking at really a third world country. This is what, in my view, this is what Obama put us on that fast track to this to this no, moment that, in time. He's but continuing to do so. There, yes. Him and, and uh, Hillary Clinton and others, I guarantee uh, he probably is the source of some of these stories, whether he is... Um, acting on intelligence he's still able to obtain through his his connections or his holdovers but i do believe that he is uh, you know at the tip of the spear probably the one of the only presidents in u.s history to actively work against another president uh, instead of just going out into the night quietly y- yes he is, he is actively uh, starting political organizations he's the head of the resistance i believe he has a uh, very tight relationship with many, many of the media, and he's feeding them these stories. I believe it's him and a, a, you know this think tank of, of media pol- political conglomerates, people like Hillary Clinton, um, you know, well, maybe Eric so, Holder, so, yes, and those no, to a lesser degree Valerie Jarrett. But I believe that these people are you know at the they're 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 one of the top levels of this Trump resistance uh, media yes. attacking the president and the office of the president. Well, and, and I think you mentioned Hillary Clinton. Don't forget the Clinton Foundation, and don't forget it takes money, for example, to uh, to really fund this resistance movement. Of course, people talk about George Soros. We 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 understand that, but I wouldn't discount the impact the Clinton the Clintons personally and through their foundation had, based and that's my opinion um, that that it's significant. Now, don't forget Clinton, Hillary Clinton, the sixty seventh. Secretary of State uh, from 09 to, to 13, during which time Bill Clinton had amassed a fortune, as did Hillary, uh, through the foundation, not personally, of course, during the off during her time in office as Secretary of State. But you're looking at the uh, Clinton confirmed uh, income from 2001 through 2012, which overlaps that period where she was Secretary of State, 136 and a half million dollars. Now, Bill Clinton, personal net worth, $55 million. 2001, upon leaving office, uh, supposedly dead broke, He, uh, uh, the money that he has received, uh, that where, where has all this money gone? It's certainly in their pockets, but it's my belief, professional, uh, after some research, that a lot of this money that was generated for... In, under the uh, Clinton Foundation, has gone to fund this this opposition research as well as the opposition itself. Go ahead. We only got a few minutes left before the break. 
This is uh, there's been some interesting developments in the USS Fitzgerald, uh, the U.S. destroyer that was hit by a, a uh, Philippinian freighter, and the reports that are coming out is that the the freighter that hit the destroyer was on autopilot when it hit uh, the Fitzgerald. Now, uh, that's not the interesting part. The interesting part is the destroyer did not. No alarms or sirens went off. They did not detect this freighter coming, which you have to ask the question now. And even uh, a few of these articles that I've read are asking the question, uh, could this, uh, was this the result of uh, a hack that, or sabotage, yeah. that messed with the, the uh, destroyer's ability? Because, you know, we've been, I've been looking into this all week little by little. And from what I gather, there is, there should be no way whatsoever that a ship should ever even get near as close as, as this did. Uh, they have multiple uh, layers of security and uh, technology for this, whether it's sonar or radar, and e- even a man, you know, on the top looking out at all times, or at least that's how it should be. So people are asking the question, Is uh, was this computer system vulnerable to some kind of hack, or was there a malfunction? I don't know if we'll ever get the real answer from the Navy. I doubt we'll get the real answer from the Navy about that. They would never admit to being hacked or letting their systems fail because of some kind of malfunction or hack. But Inspector you have Michael to ask a question because asked a question too yesterday. It, it just doesn't make sense that um, in 2017 a U.S. destroyer. I don't know how much money they cost. I'm sure close to a billion dollars, if not more. All the technology, the personnel. And yet this still happens without warning. Uh, so how does this happen? We don't know. Everybody was having an off day. Everybody was asleep. Who knows? Um, I, I, would, I, would, I would lean more toward the uh, the possibility that somebody manipulated the computer system because there are uh, fail safes in there. If the the first uh, you know sensors don't work, they have backups for that. For for all the systems to fail and detect nothing. That tells me that there's something more going on here. And from the Navy, we probably will not hear the truth, but it's something to continue to look into and research because seven American sailors died that day, and sure. there has been no no accountability. So we will continue to dig into that. When we come back, Dr. Mike Spaulding will be our guest. His website is SoaringEagleRadio.com, and we're going to get into some current events as, uh, as well as some other topics. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to this edition of the Hagman Report. HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. In a thrilling series of novels, T.C. Joseph takes us into the lives of three families who struggle to maintain normal lives in a world where conspiracy theory and Bible prophecy collide. 
T.C. Joseph's viewpoint of alternative history and understanding of prophetic events will change your view of the world and the events on our horizon. Kirkus Review states, Readers of End Times Fiction will be hard-pressed to find it done more intriguingly than this. Extremely readable and fast-paced. Blue Week Reviews boldly states, Fans of Tim LaHaye's Left Behind series and Tom Parada's The Leftovers will find this thought-provoking series absolutely riveting. Order your copies of T.C. Joseph's This Generation series from Amazon.com. Book 1, Precipice. Book 2, Pentecost. And Book 3, Penance. Uncertain times, it makes sense to have a sustainable backup method to cook food and boil water. If your current plan includes using a fuel burning stove or cooking over an open fire, then there's a much better way. The Miniman Rocket Stove is a biomass burning cooking stove that only requires small quantities of sticks and twigs for fuel. The Miniman Stove is easy to use, smokeless, portable, powerful, and sustainable. For the finest in survival cooking stoves and fire starters made right here in the USA, go to MinutemanStove.com. That's MinutemanStove.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden. Exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. Welcome, folks, to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Our guest, Pastor Mike Spaulding, Soaring Eagle Radio. Soaring Eagle Radio, uh, com as well. Uh, folks, I'm going to tell you something. This segment is going to be extremely important because the problem or the uh, uh the topic is going to is going to address the 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 larger problem in America uh with respect to the condemnation condemnation of the conservative right this is a, a this is going to be folks this is going to knock your socks off before we get to that before we get to Joe just one second i want to remind everyone the uh the the uh anchor woman who had said that defending President Donald Trump was like hugging a suicide bomber, because because I, this was news to me until I until I spoke with Peter uh, Choka today. Choka today was uh, he re, he reminded me or stated that Elise Jordan, MSNBC anchor, is the widow of Michael Hastings. Now let that sink in, okay? I just want to remind everyone if you missed that at the beginning of the program, Joe, I'm going to turn it over to you. 
Yeah, this uh, uh, quick word from from one of our sponsors, PortableSolarLLC.com. Solar Arc. Portable Solar is a veteran-owned Christian company with the mission of helping families be less dependent on our vulnerable grid in an affordable way. We have They have no salespeople, and you get to talk to an engineer when trying to decide what type of system you need. Portable Solar was judged the most well-thought-out solar generator on the market in 2016. It provides minimal installation in hours. They empower homeowners to set up the system without professional installation, saving them thousands of dollars. You also get a 30% tax credit uh, from the IRS during the year for using the, uh, the solar generator. A grid or generator input with internal automatic transfer switch you get the optional built-in solar panels, and the, this is a great product. You get the base, and you can put in as, mu- as many solar panels as you want to run as much as you can outside of, of the regular electric grid. And this is uh, a great product when you think of um, some of the, the trouble we could run into when we talk about energy alternatives and, and uh, other types of energy that you can use outside of the electric grid. The the portable solar uh, generator is fantastic, and uh, we're going to have Belinda back on in the near future. Uh, she, they were on once before, but we're going to do it again. So you know, stay tuned uh, for I, that. I the website is portablesolarllc.com. Be, uh, you know, because uh, this is EMP proof, and this is a solution to many people's yes. problems. Uh, and, and it's lightning, it has lightning and EMP protection. That, it's, it's fantastic, and we, we, we love this product. Uh, I, I was not a big solar fan. But let me tell you something. This PortableSolarLLC.com is really the place to go. Uh, visit that website. Pastor Mike Spaulding, Soaring Eagle Radio. Pastor Mike Spaulding, Dr. Uh, Dr. Yeah, Dr. Uh, Spaulding, welcome to the Hagman Hagman Report. We, we've got a lot to talk about, don't we? We do, Doug and Joe, and thank you so much for the invitation to come back on. It's always a a joy and a pleasure to chat with you guys. Well, it's it, it's a pleasure to speak with you. Uh, we've seen some things happen this week, this month. Well, we've seen, we've seen some things happen. The condemnation, essential condemnation of the conservatives by by the evangelical community, by Christians. What's going on? Yeah, that was that was my thought exactly, Doug. When I when I read this article, it, I mean, I had to stop, and uh, not much causes me to pause anymore because there's so much stupidity out there. Just when you think you've seen it all, uh, this article pops up, and it uh, it was about the Southern Baptist Convention holding their annual meeting. Uh, this was last week, and, uh, and 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 I actually saw this article was on the Christian Post. Now, for those of you who who get information from the Christian Post, you need to understand they're a little left leaning. Uh, in the reporting, but this this fit their narrative, so I understand why they why they posted it. But there was a resolution, uh, Doug, and, and I'm sure that some of uh, of your uh, listeners and watchers uh, they they may be part of a Southern Baptist church, and and perhaps they're not aware of this. But there's a resolution that was brought to the floor. And I actually wrote an article on this uh, addressing um, the misconceptions uh, and, and really described how alarmed I was that it. That the perception of the alt-right media, and when when I say alt-right, that's the alternative media. Uh, now, the alt-right is used by the liberal mainstream media as a, a term of denigration. They don't use it in a flattering way. 
And this article that I found in the Christian Post dealing with this resolution just proved the point. So let me read what the Christian Post writer wrote, and then I'll read you the resolution, or at least two of the it resolves of the resolution, and then you understand what I'm talking about. So this Christian Post writer, uh, Michael Grabowski, in his write-up about the resolution, he said, and this is a quote, The alt-right is a political movement generally associated with white nationalism and known for launching intense attacks on ideological enemies on social media. Now, that got me a little disturbed, but when I read the resolution, here's the resolution. Quote, There has arisen in the United States a growing menace to the political order and justice that seeks to reignite social animosities, reverse improvements in race relations, divide our people and foment hatred, classism, and ethnic cleansing, end quote. And and I I have to tell you, Doug and Joe, when I read it, I thought, yeah, you've just perfectly described the eight-year reign of terror known as the Obama administration. But that wasn't what he meant. So so he continues on with the resolution. He's in, quote, this toxic menace self-identified among some of its chief proponents as white nationalism and the alt-right must be opposed for the totalitarian impulses, xenophobic biases, and bigoted ideologies that infect the minds and actions of its violent disciplines. Now, Doug and Joe, the Southern Baptist Convention is the largest Protestant, evangelical, and still on the conservative side of things, denomination uh, in America. And for them to entertain a resolution such as this shows a, a very high level of ignorance. It shows a high level of uh, deception that they don't understand uh, what the alt-right is, first of all, by trying to tie it to uh, racism, white supremacist, because that isn't it at all. Um, and it tells me, and by the way, I, I didn't state this in the article, but... The resolution received 58% approval. It only needed 66 to be passed, so it wasn't far from being adopted as a resolution of the convention as a whole. That was alarming to me, and this is why. Because it's people like you, Doug and Joe, the Hagman and Hagman Report, uh, it's people like Skywatch TV, it's people like Dave Hodges and Common Sense, and you know, we could go on and on and on. You know the list. You are the people, the so-called alt-right, that forces the mainstream media every once in a while to tell the truth because they know that you guys are going to be all over it and you're going to have the truth out there. And so what's happening in America today, and this is just a microcosm of the problem, is that Christians sitting in churches are paying attention and believing what CNN is, is spoon-feeding them, what all the major... The alphabet networks are feeding them, and they're believing that it's true. Now, that should be alarming for Christians that are awake and understand what's going on uh, in our nation today and and, and really all across the world. When we talk about uh, the deep state, when we talk about the global elitists, when when we talk about the shadow government, all of these things are real, and we see those manifestations and and the machinations of all of that playing out all over the headlines. And yet we have an entire, the largest denomination trying to condemn what we're doing as being truth tellers. Now, this is a point that I made uh, in the article, and I've talked to several people since then about it, Doug and Joe, and that is this. 
I believe that Christians, all Christians, should be part of the alt-right. And what I mean by that is we should be seeking to discover truth wherever it's at, wherever it leads us, and we should be standing on that truth. We should be exposing evil wherever it's at. Christians should not be concerned about R's and D's. We've got to get past this this shenanigans that the politicians have pulled on us for all of these years. It's really divided us. We've got to get past that. Christians of all people, Doug and Joe, should be focused on what is the truth and then exposing that and let the chips fall where they may. No, Pastor Spaulding, you're you're exactly right. And you know, one thing uh, that's interesting, I didn't even know about this uh, this resolution until you just mentioned it. And the uh, person who authored it, there's an article on Raw Story. Pastor who introduced Southern Baptist resolution against the alt right is shocked it wasn't a slam dunk. And they go on to talk about how they're going to rewrite, um, write up a different way to go about this. But you know, one thing that's that's frustrating about you know when we get into the politics and the alt right and uh, Democrats and Republicans is the uh, perception that the left has has thrown onto the right or alt right. It's that you know this that somehow uh, there there is this uh, white supremacy, this overbearing racism that's a part of it, yeah. which is absolutely not true. And we see this in you know with a lot now in, in society, uh, especially in the colleges and whatnot. If you don't wholeheartedly agree with these people's agenda, you're the hater. You're the racist. Not because you're a racist, just because you don't agree with everything these people say. And it's right. it's intellectually dishonest for these people to do this, but uh, they have no arguments in fact, so I guess this is what they resort to. Yeah. And it's just, uh, you know, we could, we could explore why that is. How did the snowflake generation even come up? How do we get to a place... Where, where the largest Protestant evangelical denomination is, doesn't even understand who the truth tellers are in America. They're looking at CNN, they're looking at the, 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 the ABC networks, and, and they're thinking that's truth. That's just an astounding thing to consider. How did we get to that place? Well, if you want to go into a historic discourse, it's called political correctness, or more appropriately, cultural Marxism. It's, it's progressivism. It's, it's leftist, elitist globalism. And essentially what it does, I define it or describe it as a cancer. That kind of thinking and, and ideology is really a cancer and it eats away at your brain. It leaves you unable to think critically. You're not able to evaluate data. You're not able to understand what you see with your own eyes, but instead, you're like a zombie. You just take the data in that they're feeding you, and you believe everything they say. And it's time, Doug and Joe, for people in America to wake up. And that's one reason I appreciate you guys and what you're doing, uh, as well as many others. And I just encourage folks, you need to spread this around. Where can you get real news? Well, you can get it on the Hagman and Hagman Report. You can get it on the Common Sense Show. Uh, you can get it in a lot of places, but it isn't on your television. Turn that sucker off. No, you're absolutely right. And, you know, we, we've been talking about this night after night. It seems like um, the disconnect from the truth at the mainstream media, um, how they're so far gone, and they continue to double down and double down. They just don't mm-hmm. get it that the yeah. American people, for the most part, either don't care or they see directly through their lies. That's why the media's, you know, approval rating is just about as low as Congress, is, if not lower. Yeah, and, yeah. I mean, they, they continue to, to press forward, but they'll never mm-hmm. be bankrupt 
because these this is a mechanism of control that uh, yeah. these people use as the, the media outlets. And even if nobody watched them, they would have full funding to be able to move forward and continue to do what they're doing. But yeah. a lot of people are tuning them out. And, you know, the special elections, uh, people say, is an indicator of that. But they, they've done all this against Trump and the truth and making, you know, the agenda to restore America uh, with American constitutional principles. They labeled that as, you know, hate speech, as the enemy, yeah. as something that's bad. And I don't think the American people, the average working American person, uh, they, they must just snicker when they see that because um, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. But, you know. That's why it's so important, Joe, that we, uh, we, us in the alt-right, I consider myself part of the alt-right. I'm, I'm a born-again, blood-bought believer, a pastor of, of a small flock here in Ohio. I believe it's our responsibility. And in fact, it's, it's our, it's our, um, it's a right, but it's, it's, it's our responsibility, it's our privilege in this nation to continue to press the truth, not to back down. Uh, and folks, listen, we've got to be pushing back against the darkness. The, it's the, the, the time to be nice. It's over. It's long over. It's time to stand up. Armor up, Ephesians chapter 6, put your full armor on and get into the battle. You need to start pushing back on the lies that we see. Now, you talk about doubling down, Joe. There was something else that happened recently. It's very disturbing to me, um, and, and it involved a, 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 a well-known uh, uh, evangelical Protestant uh, Bible teacher by the name of James White. Now, I don't know that if you're familiar with that or not, but he created quite a firestorm oh, yeah. recently. Uh, I... I was, I was, okay, okay, then, <laughs> yeah, then you know, yeah, you know. Well, I, I had, uh, by the way, you guys had, uh, Bill Warner on, uh, last week, I believe, uh, Dr. Bill Warner, um, political Islam. Yeah. Um, I talked to him last night. I had him on Soaring Eagle Radio last night, and <laughs> his response to, well, because he hadn't heard, uh, about the, the whole white fiasco, and his response to it, when I mentioned the imam's name, he said, what? <laughs> he couldn't believe it. So so anyway, uh, it, if you don't mind, what I've done is I constructed, and, it, it, and I'm going to release this article. Pastor, uh, I, I just I just want to interject one thing here. Sure. I, I, I've got a personal Twitter account. It's Hagman PI, okay? Yes. And I had, uh, I had extended an invitation to Dr. James White. This is for people, this is kind of to, to preface what you're going to say. I have extended an invitation to Dr. James White, uh, on a number of different occasions to, uh, to come on our program. We offer our platform to discuss, um, what you're about to say, you know, what you're about to describe with a couple of Muslim scholars. And mm-hmm. he is, he is declined. So in that, in that context, in that shadow, and by the way, I've just been just been getting deluged with uh, with all sorts of hate email by mm. apparently by the by the followers of of this of this uh, this man saying that yeah. uh, you know. But but go ahead. I just want to make yeah. sure people understood the context in yeah. which I sent those tweets. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. So uh, he he created quite a, quite a firestorm. He he invited. Um, and, and again, Joe, talk about doubling down, uh, and, and Doug, that was perfect, because uh, because I didn't know if he was still standing in his, uh, so so that explains a lot to me. Um, but he invited a uh, uh, an iman to join him for a so-called interfaith dialogue. 
in a Christian church, and I believe it was in Memphis. And, and of course, that's where uh, uh, Brandon is at. Uh, so he so he had this iman in the church. Now, what, what's amazing about that, and, and and when I mentioned the iman's name to uh, Bill Warner, he couldn't believe it. And you know, Bill, Bill's kind of a laid back guy, got a very dry sense of humor. But if and I didn't see him, it was audio only. But I imagine he sat right up in his chair and he said, "What?" Because the iman's name was Yasser Kadi, Yasser Kadi. Now, this iman, he is a notorious jihadi iman, preacher of hate. He's part of the Muslim Brotherhood, Doug and Joe. And James White brought him into a church and, and talked all this flowery stuff about Islam and, and how we needed to have conversation and reach a, a mutual understanding. And I thought, you have got to be kidding me. It's just Amazing that somebody of, of James White's stature in the academic community uh, would do something uh, such as this. So what I did uh, in the last day, day and a half, is I put together uh, 11 questions for James White. Would it be okay in what time I've got left to just ask those questions? Absolutely, and I think that would clear some things up, yes. Okay. Well, question number one is to Mr. White and and apparently to his supporters, do you understand that the Quran cannot be understood in isolation from the Sirah and the Hadith? Now, the Sirah, the Hadith, and the Quran form what is called the Islamic Trilogy. Allah is found in the Quran, Muhammad is found in the Sirah, which is his biography, and the Hadith are the traditions surrounding the life of Muhammad. So all of Islam is based on those three books. You can't just go to the Quran. You'll never be able to understand Islam if you just read the Quran. It's impossible. And uh, Dr. Warner says that's intentional. They are very confusing to understand, and there's a reason for that. So that's the first question. Do you understand the Quran, the Hadith, and the Sirah? Because James White, if you do... There is no way that you could invite an iman into a Christian church for a interfaith dialogue. Second question, do you understand that Islam is based on dualism? Western logic is based upon the law of non-contradiction. If two things contradict, then at least one of them are false. They can't both be true at the same time in the same context. But that's not true of Islam. Islamic logic is dualistic. Two things can contradict each other and both are true. And that's why they can lie through their teeth if it advances Islam. And there's a doctrine specifically about lying to kafirs, which is what we are, by the way. Third question, and I, I don't want to run out of time, so I'm going to speed this up, guys. Third question, do you understand that this dualism within Islam allows for the slithering jihadi evil and the flower-carrying peaceful Muslim? It all depends on the circumstances Fourth question, do you understand that the Middle East, Turkey, and Northern Africa were predominantly Christian until the rise of Islam? Do you understand that Christianity is based upon a unitary ethic, i.e. the golden rule, but that Islam has no such ethic? On the basis of the golden rule, the equality of human beings... We've created democracy, we've ended slavery, we treat, uh, treat women and men as political equals, 
So the golden rule is a unitarian ethic. All people should be treated the same. But do you understand, sixth question, that the term human being has no meaning in Islam? There is no such thing as humanity, only the duality of the believer and the unbeliever. Look at the ethical statements found in the Hadith. A Muslim should not lie, cheat, kill, or steal from other Muslims. But a Muslim may lie, deceive, or kill an unbeliever if it advances Islam. Now, somebody, you would think, somebody of, of uh, Dr. White's uh, intellectual acumen would know these things. Apparently he doesn't. Question number seven, do you understand that there is no getting along or compromising with Islam? If you're in a business deal with someone who is a liar and a cheat, there is no way to avoid getting lied to and cheated. No matter how nice you are to a con man, he will take advantage of you. There is no compromise with dualistic ethics. In short, Islamic politics, ethics, and logic cannot be part of any free civilization. Islam does not assimilate. It dominates. Question eight. Do you understand that historically speaking... Islam has murdered and enslaved millions of people to fund their continued jihad against other nations and peoples. Do you understand that this murder and enslavement continues to this very day? Do you understand that Islam prescribes this practice of conquest and enslavement right down to the very specific allowance of sex slaves? Do you understand the tragedy of sexual trafficking, human trafficking? Islam is one of the major players in human trafficking. And yet, we're going to make nice with these people? I don't think so, guys. Number nine, do you understand that jihadi conquest and subjugation of other nations and people is built into the very fabric of what Islam is? Ten, do you understand that to the Muslim who practices true Islam, you are destined for hell and should be treated as such, James White? That's how they view you. Number eleven, do you understand that multiculturalism and pluralism are cancers that Islam takes advantage of to destroy every host nation it affects? Now, I could go on, and, and I could add a lot more commentary to all those things, uh, Doug and Joe, and, and there was a lot more commentary to that, but I think you get the point. James White is deceived. And deceiving, and here's my problem that we have, just like that, that resolution uh, calling the alt-right pejoratively alt-right um, evil and yes. this is the this itself is a microcosm an yes. instance of a larger problem and this is why it's so important and, and this is not meant to be an attack on Dr. White it's meant it, for me this is meant to uh, to wake people up and say, look, what you're hearing, at least in, in, from all of the Islamic scholars we've had, what, what, what you are doing is deceiving, being deceived, as you, as you had mentioned. But most importantly, deceiving those people who follow yeah. you by listening to the wrong people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. You have become a blind guide of the blind, as Jesus says. And listen, I'm not attacking James White uh, either. I'm merely pointing out that what he did was unconscionable and it's and it's inexcusable in my opinion for a for a Christian of his academic and, and scholastic standing to not understand what Islam is and to prove it by inviting a jihadi Muslim Brotherhood affiliated Imam into that church to make nice it just it 
it defies reason and logic, Doug and Joe. There, there's so much wrong with that, Pastor. You're exactly yeah. correct. And I, I want to thank you for the courage to point this out because, my goodness, if, if just judging by the emails I've gotten, I know that you're putting yourself out there. <laughs> you know. Hey, you know what? You get thick skin after a while, right? Oh, absolutely. Yes, indeed. <laughs> but, but this is the problem in America, and I think that that this to our demise, to our peril, should we allow this to continue? Or should this continue? Right. We could be. Right. We will be in a lot of trouble. We will be. Yeah. 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 Pastor Mike Spaulding, Soaring Eagle Radio. Visit the websites in the program description. Linked off of HagmanReport.com. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Doug. Thank you, Joe. Thank you. All right. Wow. Well, what a powerful information pack segment. We'll be right back, folks. Stay right where you're at. Network break. This edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Have we got a treat for you? You want to read history before it happens. Yeah, you can do that. Subscribe to the Trends Journal, Trends Research Institute. Uh, Gerald Seleni is the head of the Trends Research Institute. Trendsresearch.com. That's trendsresearch.com. He's got a tremendous publication, quarterly publication called the Trends Journal. This is where we get our, our information from, whether it's economic, geopolitical, political. Um, it is, really history before it happens i would urge everyone everybody listening to this if you if you are interested in protecting your wealth whatever however much or however little you have if you're interested in learning about uh, the various trends that affect our everyday life i can't believe anyone is not then there's one publication i highly recommend we subscribe to it we learn from it and i'll tell you something is right on the money that's the Trends Journal. With us right now is Gerald Salani, TrendsResearch.com. Mr. Salani, thanks for joining us again. Uh, Douglas and Joseph, thank you so much for having me on, and thank you for all that you do. Hey, appreciate it. Well, appreciate you. You know, you've been hitting uh, the media this week, and, and as you have, you know, for, for forever, and you've been hitting a lot of uh, stuff right out of the park. One of the things that I was, I was looking on your social network feed, and uh, Looking at just, I was really interested in something that uh, a comment or an issue you're, you're talking about in the media this week. Iran, Iran could lead to World War Three. Now we knew that, we understood that, but you kind of have a, a pretty good grasp and take on this. I kind of want to lead off with that. What's what's up with Iran and where we stand today? Well, as you well know, I'm a political atheist. I look at things for the way they are, not the way I want them to be. We don't take stands on things. Just like when you go to a doctor, all you want is a diagnosis. And so we just give the diagnosis. So let's go back to the presidential reality show in the race for the White House back in 2016. Trump kept coming out against Iran. This is the worst deal I ever seen. This is a terrible deal. 
And then you look at his cabinet and his administration. James, quote, Mad Dog Mattis, our defense secretary. First of all, what adult would call himself Mad Dog? <laughs> but then you go back to his quotes. What's the greatest danger in the world going back to 2012? I got three words, Iran, Iran, and Iran. And now we'll listen to Trump saying that, quote, Iran is the greatest supporter of terrorism in the world. And then we hear his Secretary of State, Rex. Here, Rex, Rex Tillerson. Hmm. Iran, greatest terror threat in the world. Now, just to put this into context, Iran has not invaded a country in 250 years. Most Americans don't know that in 1953, oh, by the way, they just, just now released the CIA documents of the overthrow of Mossadegh in 1953 by the CIA and the MI6. Now, we have to remember, tracking trends is an understanding of where we are, how we got here, and where we're going. So why do we hate Iran? Let's go back to 1950. When does World War II end? How about 1945, late 1945. Who controlled Iran before that? Well, the British. You know, the sun never sets on the British Empire. And the queen and the king, they'll take anybody they can get. And by the way, we love your oil. So who was controlling the oil in 1953? Oh, there was this company called Anglo-Iranian Anglo Oil, better known today as BP. And who was the other company that owned all the oil fields in Iran? Standard Oil, better known today as ExxonMobil. So they had an election in Iran in the 50s, the early 50s. And they elected Mossadegh, a university professor. A totally democratic election. And you know what he did? He had the nerve, the gall, the arrogance to say... Hey, that oil belongs to us, not Anglo or Iranian or BP or Standard Oil. So they overthrew the government of Mossadegh. They plucked this little low-life piece of garbage, a nothing of a human being, the Shah. The Shah. They plucked him out of southern France, put him in there. They slaughtered all the resistance people. The Savak, the Iranian secret police, they got Savak from SS, man. They were murderous, disgusting individuals that murdered every part of the resistance. And the Shah brought back in Anglo-Iranian and Standard Oil. He became the biggest purchaser of United States military equipment. So, the revolution begins in the late 1950s. Uh, excuse me, the late 1970s. The people have had enough. And the Shah, the arrogance of this, by the way, 
you know, the head of the peacock throne, you know, the, 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 the king for this lifetime and for eternity. This kind of crap they're throwing down with this king crap. The revolution happens. I have a book called Trend Tracking. I wrote that in 1986. I became a political atheist. I used to be the government affairs specialist for a major segment of the chemical industry in D.C. back in the 70s. <laughs> when Jimmy Carter was president, he goes to spend New Year's Eve with the Shah and his wife, him and Rosalind. And he comes back, and in those days it was a big deal. They, you know, the president land on the South Lawn, they get out of the helicopter, they salute, yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. And he announces to the American people that the Shah is the island of stability in the Middle East. And at that moment, I became a political atheist. I said, no, this thing's coming down, man. There's millions of people in the streets. Do you know what they were asking Americans? Close up your embassy. We've had enough of you. We want you out of here. You put in this brutal dictator that... Jimmy Carter, the wonderful peanut farmer. Yeah, peanut crap, man. I love these guys. Everybody plays that religious card that me and God got this connection as you're sending murderers to kill other people. Yeah, that Jimmy phony Carter. Oh, people probably forgot when those American helicopters crashed trying to start the revolution going. Yeah. And get, yeah. Anyway, going back, why Iran is in the headlights now. So, Americans refused to take out, they, they overthrew the Shah. America refused to close the embassy. And that's how the crisis started. Now, let's fast forward. 2016. Trump is going on and on and on. Here we are in 2017, on and on and on. Now let's go to Trump's first overseas visit to the Saudis. Read the quotes. It's the Iranians. It's the Iranians. Oh, yeah, our Saudi friends. The murderers around the world, the beheaders-in-chief, overthrew Gaddafi, overthrew, uh, uh, trying to overthrow Assad, one after another. Then he goes to Israel. We had now a Trends Journal many years ago, about 2011, 2012, when Netanyahu was at the UN and we did a cartoon bomb. Because that's what he brought in. That Iran had a fuse, the nuclear fuse. They're ready to blow up the world with their nuclear. Now he goes to Iran. Israel warns us about Iran. What happened last week? Our great friends, the Saudis, now they put in this guy, uh, 31-year-old warhawk that started the Yemen war under Obama, killed over 10,000 Yemenis. The United Nations came out today and said in Yemen it's the greatest humanitarian crisis since 1945 but nobody knows this United States Saudis doing this that's right who are they blaming Iran yep and now what they've done is they've cut out Qatar because when they had an election in Iran about three weeks ago four weeks ago 70% of the people came out and voted the emir of Qatar called up and congratulated the new president of Iran that was one of the reasons why. They're isolating Iran. Now what happened in Syria? 
This is the other lying crap that came out from Trump. Just like all of the other people running for office, they'll lie their way into office. Oh, and by the way, I was the assistant to the secretary of the New York State Senate at 23 years old. I ran the mayoral campaign in Yonkers, city of 300,000 people. I was the number two guy at 22 years old. I've been around this game a long time. I taught, it, it, it devised, designed and instructed American politics and campaign technology and taught it at St. John's University. I know the game. Mm-hmm. I'll say anything to get elected because I'm a psychopath or a sociopath. I'm the same person you hated in high school and college that wanted to be class president and head of the student council. So Trump tells us we have no business being in Syria. We don't even know who these rebels are. Like just talking to the generals. We don't even know who they are. Who are these moderate We don't know who they are. But yet, now we're escalating the troop surge in, in Syria. They blew a Syrian plane out of the sky. This is against the Constitution of America, thus being in a sovereign nation that's done nothing to us and no threat to us. Absolutely. They're blowing Iranian drones out of the sky. They're bombing Iranian troops that are fighting with Assad who was elected by the Syrian people by a vast majority monitored by international observers. But hey, these Iranian troops are killing our moderate rebels who we don't even see in their face according to Trump. They're going after Iran. We believe there's going to be a conflict. It'll probably go between Israel and Iran. They'll blame the Iranians. And they've been, you talk to anybody out there, the uneducated people who only hear sound bites of news, they're already saying Iran is the greatest terror threat in the world. Not the Saudis, not the United States, who have been hiring all these mass murderers to overthrow Gaddafi, overthrow Assad. They're in, they're in Yemen. And I could go into Africa too. With yep. Somalia, Sudan. Central Africa, Mali, but those are only facts. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, uh, only facts. Now, you mentioned something here, and, and this kind of, to me, flew under the radar of, of most uh, American people, that transfer of power in Saudi Arabia in the context of Iran and in the context of Syria, pretty important, right? I mean, you're... look what look what just happened three weeks ago. Terrorists slaughtered Iranians in their parliament and at the shrine of the Ayatollah. Who did the Iranians blame it on? The Saudis. Yeah. Listen to this new. You know, I love this crap. The king, the prince. Oh yeah, I, I, I read that. I think in uh, in one of my wonder books. I think it was the princess kissed the frog, and the frog <laughs> became a prince, and then he became a king. How about a gang? What's this king and prince crap? It's a mafia. So anyway, they brought in this thirty-year-old guy who started the Yemen war. Read his quotes. He is saying and said back in May 
that they were going to bring the battle to Iran. His words, not mine. Yep. Do you think, now, and this is one thing that, uh, uh, and so I love. Let me interrupt for one second. Well, go ahead. Because this is very important. Go ahead. Oil prices. All things are connected. We have a global nomic system, is what we call it. To Saudi Arabia's budget to break even, they need oil to sell at $100 a barrel. What's it selling for now? 45 Ooh. What happened when they did that deal with Obama? They allowed the Iranians to sell more oil. And there's a glut of oil on the market. The only way, and again, we've, we've been on top of this forever, since actually almost to the date, three years ago in June, oil was selling for $115 a barrel. And the Saudi strategy was, we're going to keep pumping out more and more oil and knock out all these other producers that it cost them a lot to get it out of the ground. That was the Saudi strategy that failed. In, in Saudi Arabia, you have, you have areas, a lot of Shia, of course, is being run by the Wahhabi Sunnis that are stricken in poverty. You start going to these other countries that are oil rich, now they're becoming very poor. They're raising the taxes, putting value-added taxes on, cutting services. When all else fails, Doug, they take you to war. That's right. And that's what we're looking at. And it's not only in Saudi Arabia. It's United Arab Emirates. It's, it's in Qatar, which is the largest supplier of LNG, liquefied natural gas. It's in Venezuela. It's in Brazil. It's all over the world. So what I'm saying is when we're looking at Iran, put the entire picture together, it's about money. It is. And and with that, now, by the way, folks, Gerald Salini is our guest. I don't even think we need to introduce him. Uh, he needs no introduction. Uh, TrendsResearch.com is his website. Trends Journal. Folks, he's, he's been talking about this, writing about this, for the last, and he's right, three years. If you've had a subscription to Trends Journal, which you should because it is history before it happens, and seriously, it's the best investment. Look, folks, before silver, before freeze red or uh, long-term storable food, Trends Journal, because this will guide your uh, decisions, and, and this is what we use as well. He's been He's been addressing this for the last uh, 36, 42 months, exactly what he's saying today. Again, history before it happens. But, Mr. Salani, have you ever seen the conditions the way they are right now at any other time? Uh, I mean, we are on a war footing here. And Syria, as you said, Iran, um, and all the players all together. We're close, aren't we? I've never seen this before because there's also something else going on. And as you mentioned with the Trends Journal, and this is the cover, we have USA crossed out, no DSA, Divided States of America. All we need is a wild card. And this thing goes up in smoke. Again, all things are connected. Look at the equity markets. Again, we changed our forecast when Trump got elected. We said, oh, this market's going up. And... People always say, it's just a Trump bump. No, it's not. It's real. But 
Things have to happen to keep it going. Infrastructure has to happen. Tax breaks have to happen. Regulations have to be changed. None of that's happening to any significance. Then we have to look, take a look at the headlines in the Financial Times. What's going on in China? Again, all things are connected. It all comes back down to money. The major companies over there have been buying up company after company, property after property, Chinese companies all around the world. And now the government's clamping down on them because it's all leveraged. 20 years ago, Doug, 20 years ago, the Chinese total debt, corporate and, and government, was around $600 billion. Today, $30 trillion. Mm. What we're looking at, when you look at the geopolitical destabilization, the oil prices are... Go we, we have... And I'm not... You don't get it right all the time. Nobody does. This is human beings. We nailed the oil prices going back three years ago. What no one's talking about are the alternative energies that are coming online that are making fossil fuels and gas less relevant. They closed 350 coal-burning plants in America. Not because of environmental regulations, because gas is cheaper. Go to Europe. You're looking at places like Denmark, where nearly 60% of their energy is being delivered through alternative energies. In Spain, in Germany, in Italy, about a third. What I'm saying is, the Saudis, the Venezuelans, the United Arab Emirates, the Qatar, Kuwait, it's like having ice boxes just before they're coming out with refrigeration. <laughs> Good analogy. And they're in the ice business. Yep. They have nothing else. This arrogant prince came out with this big plan about a year ago. Yeah. Saudi vision of something 2030. It was this grand plan. Nothing. Nothing. Empty. 70% of the GDP oil-based. The Saudis, oh, you know that Trump, he just sold uh, the Saudis $110 billion worth of weapons. Why? Hey, almost got as close as Obama. Obama sold them $115 billion. They have enough weaponry to destroy a good segment of civilization around them. And when you look at the fundamentals, they're religious fundamentals. They're still fighting about what happened when the Prophet Muhammad died, whenever he died, and the Sunnis and the Shia still fighting that battle. This is out of control. And they have the weaponry to make this the war to end all wars. The Iranians aren't going anywhere. These are the Persians, lest anyone forget. Oh, yeah. And lest anyone forget, another guy that they should bring up on war crime tribunals, you know, I hate these little boys with their bad attitude, and they can't fight their way out of a paper bag, like that little piece of crap called Donald Rumsfeld. 
along with Penis Cheney. Oh, I should be proper. I know you might be bleeping me. Dick Cheney. And, and George Bush. You remember Donald Rumsfeld giving Saddam Hussein golden spurs to oh. launch war against Iran back in the 1980s? Where over a million Iranians were killed and they didn't give up one inch of territory. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Wow. That's right. Wow. And what did Iran do for that war? That all of these little low-life slimers like Rex Tillerson... Here, Rex! Come here, boy! <laughs> yeah, calling him the greatest terror threat? Like yep. Mad Dog Mattis? Look up James Mad Dog Mattis's quote. That's right. And, and amazing quotes uh, too, by the way. And don't hold back, Mr. Slani. Feel free. Just don't hold back. But, you know, I have a I have a definition of hell, <laughs> and I don't. You know, the motto of the Trends Journal, taught to me by my dear father, may so rest in peace. When I was a young kid, and I'd be shooting my mouth off. He'd look at me and he'd give me a dirty look, and he'd say to me, "Papagallo, parrot, stop repeating what everyone else is saying and think for yourself." So what I have to say is everything I say is this way we see it. You think for yourself. So when you say don't hold back, I have a definition of hell. And again, think for yourself. My definition of hell is taking that last breath and knowing you weren't the person you said you were or could have been. And when I talk about war and the destruction and the arrogance of the military-industrial complex... I'm tired of these guys walking around with their military drag and telling me how I should live my life when they haven't won a war since World War II, but we got another plan. Don't want to hear it anymore. And when I say put my money where my mouth is, I launched OccupyPeace.us. Oh. I had Ralph Nader here, Cindy Sheehan, who was a brave enough woman that camped out in front of George Bush's ranch when her son was killed in Iraq. I had Dr. Robert Thurman, Uma Thurman's father. Mm -hmm. I had Gary No. I went into my pocket in six figures to make this happen. Couldn't raise any money. So when I say these things, they're not empty words. They're words that I believe of morality. And that's what this nation has lost. It's moral compass. Amen. We to have that. no business being in these countries. It's against our constitution. And I own three of the most historic buildings in America. I launched that from the most historic four corners in America because I am an American. And I could not be me if I was born in Alta Villa Epina Vica Quince in Italy. I only could be me because I was born in the Bronx. <laughs> and I got the freedom to be who I wanted to be. And I don't need these people telling me how I should live my life as they're robbing me of my freedom. And that's why I do what I do. And you do it well. Gerald Salani, thank you for your gift of time tonight. And I'm glad you, you spoke. I'm glad. Uh, thank you. Th this was absolutely engaging. Trends Journal, uh, folks, I would urge everybody, everybody, if you've got any income, any wealth concern for that, your lifestyle, subscribe. Be a subscriber to the Trends Journal. Mr. Salani, thank you so much. Please come back and visit us again. 
Oh, anytime. And by the way, we offer discounts for people that can't afford it. It's only $99 a year. And please remember, everyone, it does not take a majority to prevail, but rather an irate, tireless minority, keen on setting brush fires of freedom in the minds of men, Samuel Adams. Amen. Mr. Gerald Salini, thank you. Thank you. Network break coming right up. Stay right with us. Visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. Shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. Folks, I'm going to direct your attention to masterpreps.com, masterpreps.com. Wow. Masterpreps.com, the sponsor of our show, masterpreps.com. That's masterpreps.com. Take a visit there. High-quality items, made-in-America items. I mean, anything, everything you possibly want from cooking utensils, cooking frying pans. I mean, it is, it'll blow you away. Absolutely, Erickson. It's insane. I mean, wow. Look at the products. Folks, visit masterpreps.com. Again, welcome to the Hagman and Hagman Report family. Masterpreps.com. I mean, wow, it's insane. Masterpreps.com. Are you ready for what comes next? Hi, I'm Grace Gonzalez from Chang Post and Woods. We are an American family-owned company founded and built on skills and knowledge gained from responding to aging major disasters in the U.S. and around the world. We found that most people don't have enough food and water to survive, let alone any medicinals to save their life. We are offering 25% off our must-have American Heritage Armies kit. It contains 12 homeopathic armies, a booklet that goes over everything in your kit, and our brand new book, Major Disasters Lessons Learned. Just enter coupon code HAGMAN. In life or a disaster, you must be able to take care of yourself. You may not be a medical doctor, and your grandmother and your great-grandmother probably weren't either. But they still knew how to minister to their family's health issues. And so can you. Check out our American Heritage Army's kit at www.changeplacewoods.com. Your life may depend on it. Hello, everyone. This is Joe Charles, the guy whose voice is heard announcing for the Hagman and Hagman Report right here on YouTube and across the Global Star Radio Network. There have been many people wondering whose music is being played during those breaks. Well, you guessed it. And we're very pleased to announce that all that music and 11 brand new songs from the CD New Jerusalem is set for release on April 10th for download on iTunes. You can help support my ministry and be blessed by this awesome, inspiring recording. I have been fortunate to work with some phenomenal musicians from around the world that helped us put this recording together in the studio. Simply go to joecharlesmusic.com and click on the iTunes link. Or, if you'd rather have a CD, we'll send one right out to you. Just leave me your email and we'll get right back to you. And thanks to Doug and Joe Hagman for making this all possible. God bless.
regular guest in the past, hasn't been on in a while, and we are uh, so glad to have him back, Mr. Bill Salas, his website, prophecydepot.com, that's prophecydepot.com, or you can get to prophecydepotministries.net. Bill Salas, welcome back to the show. Hey, it's great to be back on the show, Joe and Doug. It's great to have you. As uh, we were just talking before the coming on air, it has been a while, and it's great to have you back. You know, the, i, I got to tell you this, Bill. Last time, I have not seen you sporting a beard. You've got a distinguished look about you. You've got a very distinguished look. Well, I'm trying to hide that double chin, Doug. <laughs> oh, my goodness. For those listening on Global Star and BTR, you can, you can check out the uh, archive on YouTube. Just go to our website. And, uh, by the way, when you're there, subscribe. Bill Salas is our guest. You know, dur- during uh, or right before he came on the air, where do you start? He's you know he's written a couple of books, the Now Prophecies, um, since he's been on last time. But uh, Joe, I mean, we were talking about the, the what the very first question, though, that the opening question to ask, and we were kind of wrestling. But, but I'm going to ask you, uh, Mr. Salas, I'm going to be. We're going to open up the uh, question with this. We have a President Donald Trump, make America great again. We see all kinds of stuff happening around us. We see the division within America. We see the war clouds looming. Um, prophetically, what does Bill Salas see in your prophetic analysis? Well, you know, this is the $50 million question. And, you know, Donald he made about 76 campaign promises to make America great again. I would suggest that he should have made 81 campaign promises because five of the most important ones that would probably go a whole long way, if not guarantee the fact that America would be great again, would be dealing with some of the issues where we have straight armed got out of our society through a series of uh, Supreme Court decisions over the last six decades where we have basically said goodbye to God. We've shunned him. We don't need him anymore. We, we not time permitting We'll kind of go through some of those cases. But the point being is, can can one man make America great again? And who made who who and only who can make America great again? And that's God. And we've said goodbye to God. Uh, it's interesting, but before the elections, Franklin Graham, well-respected evangelist, son of Billy Graham, he said that we have taken God out of the public debate. And I want to bring him back in. Now, that was around March or so of 2016. That's when Hillary Clinton was leading in the polls, and that was a great assessment because we really, as I said, had pretty much said goodbye to God. He was no longer, at that point in time, humming the Heart Star Spangled Banner in heaven and draped in the American flag, as many of us would like to hope he would be at this point. But the elections came, and, and to the shock of so many, myself included, Donald Trump won. And then shortly thereafter that, in December, Franklin Graham said, I believe God has intervened. He kind of joked and said, not the Russians. And he has answered the prayers of, I think, I think it was a hundred thousand, hundreds of thousands of American Christians. I don't have the quote exact. And then, so the question we have to ask ourselves is, did God intervene? And I, I tell people, um, I do believe God intervened. We're told in Daniel 2, verses 20 through 21, that it is God who changes times and seasons, who raises up and removes kings, gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those with understanding. Uh, we certainly had a major turn of events with the number one superpower of the nation of the world. But is, does that mean that God has come back to the country? Like I said, is he now, is he now singing our tune up in, in heaven? Remember, God is not a 
a Republican. He's not a Democrat. He's not even an American. He's a theocrat. He's in charge of the sovereign universe. And so basically what I, I suggest to you is that I don't know that God has so much come back into America because we still have so many issues to work out here morally. We are spiritually bankrupt, morally bankrupt as a nation. Um, I believe what's happened is that God has invited the superpower country that we still are into the big show. In other words, I believe Bible prophecies are about to roll off their, their ancient parchments, pound down on the pavement with a powerful global punch. During Donald Trump's presidency, perhaps even, they're ready to happen. The end time signs are converging. And I believe that uh, we are going to be in here. We're already seeing ourselves new, uh, you know, giving some empowerment to Israel, uh, neutralization to Russia, although things are getting very volatile with Russia and America, etc. But I, I'm at a point right now where I'm suggesting to you that Prophecies written thousands of years ago, I call them now prophecies, to find their final fulfillment. And they could very well happen in the, the four-year term of Donald Trump. Uh, I mean, the signs are, all the prophecies are converging right now. There's no weapon that's not fashioned, no technology that's not developed, no national relationship that's not formed that would prohibit the, the fast facilitation of the fulfillment of ancient Bible prophecies soon and sequentially. And when they happen, they will happen like gangbusters back-to-back in my estimation. Yeah, you know, there's uh, so much going on. Um, and I often wondered, too, before the election, I would say, uh, when people would ask if if I thought Donald Trump can win, and I, I would say, um, yeah, he could. Uh, but there's one of two ways. Either either God lets him do it uh, and, and puts him in there, um, or otherwise Hillary's going to win. I guess that's one way. Because, I mean, all the, the hype and everything uh, and the media and everybody getting behind Clinton, but we saw what some people call the silent majority, come out to vote but in my mind historically elections uh you know can be altered can be uh you know you can have voter fraud in, in a number of different ways but for whatever reason trump was was uh allowed to take the the reins as president and we know we hear a scripture where it talks about in a number of different places uh, from romans to other places about how um the lord you know puts kings and governments in in, in place so there's a whole lot of things going on with this presidency, and we see the one thing that really um, that I understand is just seeing the hatred and the opposition against him and who it is that's bringing that. That tells me that uh, there is something spiritual going on here, because when you have the whole world, you know, almost the whole world, uh, and the, the media, people in government, other world leaders, you know, hating this man, when he really hasn't done anything to, to warrant that, uh, except you know try to bring this this agenda to the American people, there's no reason for it, except, in my opinion, a spiritual reason. And I think that uh, there's a lot of spiritual things going on in this country and in our world right now that really don't, it doesn't get chalked up to to spiritual uh, in nature. Everybody looks for the earthly origins. But I think we're seeing uh, some amazing things happen. Well, you're absolutely right. You know, it was Abraham Lincoln, I think, around 1865, as he was running for presidency, as a Chicago senator, he said a house divided amongst itself cannot stand. And, of course, he was dealing with the North and the South, the Civil War. He was actually quoting Jesus Christ, who had said that thing to the Jewish leadership, a house divided amongst itself cannot stand. Right now we have the most polarized political environment in our country, in our nation's history. Even a congressman gets shot uh, recently, uh, you know, by a radical Democrat. Um, you know, we are, we are in a very volatile and turbulent time at this point in time. Now, Donald Trump, uh, of interest to me, 
is his position with, with what's going on in the Middle East. We've never seen a more volatile Middle East in, in, in all of its history. It's high-stake poker over there with the Sunnis and the Shiites trying to establish the caliphate, spread their hegemony throughout the Middle East. Uh, a lot of a lot of wranglings going on over there spiritually and politically. And Israel's caught in the middle of all that. Now, Donald Trump made a couple of promises to Israel that were very important to them. One was he was, he was going to rip up the Iran nuclear deal, that Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. He didn't like it. He thought it was the worst deal ever. That was one of his 76 campaign promises. He was going to move the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv in a show of the, uh, the Jerusalem, move it to Jerusalem to evidence that uh, Jerusalem is the undivided capital of the Jewish state. Now, of course, when the opportunity came up for him to do that on June 1st, he signed that presidential wafer that was established in 1995 when it was passed, the embassy should be moved to Jerusalem. He followed the same footsteps of Bill Clinton at that time, George W. Bush subsequently, and Barack Obama. Now, what was that a politically sound move? Um, you know, well, only time will tell. He's got seven more opportunities should he fulfill his full four-year term uh, to have that come up again because it rolls up every six months. But from my perspective, um, you know, there's a couple things I'm watching very closely. Are we going to come alongside Israel at this point in time? Uh, he's very pro-Israel. So is the Congress. So is uh, Nikki Haley, the U.N. ambassador. Uh, to the United Nations. We've got a lot of good ingredients there, which is important for Americans to consider when you look at God's foreign policy about 4,000 years ago was established in Genesis chapter 12, where he said he would bless those who blessed Abraham, which goes on through to his descendants, to the Jews today, but he must curse those who curse them. And we see a lot of cursing of Israel going on from their neighbors. Uh, so it's, it was a, a taste of fresh air when Donald Trump came on so strong to be pro-Israel. But however, what we see now is those couple big issues. He, he is seeming now to be able to live with the Iran nuclear deal. We'll see what if that changes. And he has postponed, uh, if he does at all, move the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. But we're in a position now where um, he's got he's got to answer to certain things that are about to happen in the Middle East, in my estimation. And so I'm very, I'm watching this very closely from my perspective. You know, there's a, there's a lot of, um, as you talked about, the division in this, in this country, political division, ideological division. Do you, um, build in this climate, do you see this division continuing to grow? Or do you think that the nation, there's a way that the, the people in this nation can put aside their ideological differences and, and come together in some way? Well, I do think that's a little bit of wishful thinking. Um, we have an example <laughs> where uh, we had the 911 terrorist act events happen, and we were not Republicans, Democrats. We were patriots. We were Americans. Churches were filling up. Uh, we were we were acting as if things were going to be better, uh, things were going to improve in America, and we were going to put partisanship aside. But we saw that that didn't last very long. So, so, so across and to do that, however. At, at this point, in my estimation, we are going to need another major crisis to do that, and that may not even work, and that may be forthcoming, of course, because we're living in such a terrorist environment right now. Um, I think the issue really is at this point is that the reason the nation's divided is because we've said goodbye to God. We have established through Supreme Court decisions all kinds of unbiblical situations. Joan Rowlands talks about uh, how God abandons a 
country through abandonment wrath, uh, how he deals with the nations who have said goodbye to him. It's in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. And, and what, what it lays out, and I believe this is where we're at as a country right now, that God, we're experiencing God's abandonment wrath. Um, ungodliness is the first thing that characterizes a country that God abandons. And, and that ungodliness leads to unrighteous behavior, and that unrighteous behavior leads to the suppression of the truth. Now, the truth is that there is a God who loves us, who created this universe, sent his son Jesus to die for our sins, that whoever believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That is in John 3.16. That is the truth Jesus Christ says in John 14.6, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. That is what's being suppressed. And when that happens, it, it evolves into the situation where that nation starts to worship the creation rather than the creator. And, of course, now our children are being brought up to believe that they've evolved from primordial goo by way of the zoo to you is what's what's going on with what they're being taught there. And so we've seen that happen at this point. When that happens, uh, God gives the nation over to uh, three things. The lust of the flesh, sexual perversion. That's in Romans 1, verse 24. We, he gives them over to vile passions in Romans 1, 26. That's homosexuality. And he gives them over to a wicked and debased mind in Romans 1, 28. And that's moral decadence. Now, what we have seen through the course of events with the Supreme Court decisions, like I said, that go back to the uh, over the last six decades, I'm going to review those real quickly so that we can ask your viewers if we really do have an opportunity to rekindle some, bring bad God, bring God back into the country, restore the nation and make it great uh, during the Donald Trump presidency, which he so desperately wants to do. And I'm, I'm all hopeful that we can give him the opportunity to do that. But let's look at the forbidden biblical boundaries that nations or empires that have crossed them in the past have never recovered from them and in all cases have either been destroyed or eliminated as a result. Right. Sexual, per right. sexual perversion, for instance. Sodom and Gomorrah around 2000 B.C. Idol worship. The northern kingdom of Israel was destroyed around 722 B.C. by the Assyrian Empire. Uh, they were sacrificing their children uh, at that point. Now, so was the southern kingdom, which was destroyed around 586 B.C., sacrificing their children to Baal as a, as a the worst uh, uh, evolution of idol worship. You actually got to the point where you'd be sacrificing your children. Wickedness. The Syrian Empire characterized that 612 12 B.C. They were destroyed by the Medes and the Babylonians. And then anti-Semitism, remember the Egyptian Empire when Pharaoh was pursuing the Hebrews to the Red Sea, the Red Seas opened, the Hebrews went through them on dry land, but Pharaoh's army, trying to persecute them, those, those seas converged on Pharaoh and his armies. So we have those examples of those kingdoms and those empires that crossed those dangerous biblical boundaries of sexual perversion, idol worship, wickedness, and anti-Semitism. Well, let's, let's take a look at America. Dating back to 1962, at the time of Richard uh, uh, John F. Kennedy, we had a Engel versus Vitale Supreme Court decision where the removal of prayer, and and we also had the Abington School District in 1963, the removal of Bible reading in public schools. We basically said to God, you know, God, we no longer need you to help us raise our kids here. Uh, we've got this. Uh, take, take a break. We're fine with and then in 1970, now by the way, John F. Kennedy was assassinated. I'm not saying there's a connection there, but that did happen during his term. That's how he, he uh, was taken out of the presidency. 
1973, we forward the clock, we have Roe versus Wade, where we had, you know, uh, abortions were legal now. And at this point, we estimate there's about a, a million abortions per year. Uh, remember God's plan, he told Noah and Adam, was that, you know, I want you to multiply upon the earth with the intent of provide, uh, of raise godly offspring. God's goal for childbirth. And that's the biblical precedent. But at this point, now we've got a million aborted babies that won't have that opportunity to grow up as godly offspring per year in this country. And, uh, just on a side note, Nixon was impeached. Now that happened during his tenure. Then we moved the clock into 1980. We had Stone versus Graham, where the removal of the Ten Commandments in classrooms. 2003, Lawrence versus Texas. Now these are all law of the land court decision. It's down the south which by extension invalidated sodomy laws in 13 other states. So these are the things where we're straight-arming straight God away from our society. These things are the things that are of concern to God. And then we move the clock forward to Barack Obama's last term, and we have the United States versus Windsor, where he struck down the Defense of Marriage Act, DOMA, where one man is to be married to one woman. That is biblical. Jesus Christ even quoted that. A man should leave his mother and father, cleave together with his woman who should do the same, but God puts together, let no man set asunder. Uh, but we can no longer defend the constitutionality of the biblical model of marriage, and when you can no longer defend that, you set yourself up for redefining marriage. And we saw that happen in 2015, Ogrefell versus Hodges, the approval of same-sex marriages. So, we're, you know, I, I would ask the viewers and the listeners, you know, the five promises that I wish Donald Trump would have made, in addition to his 76, which he will likely not be able to keep all those, <laughs> he's already struggling with the wall, with the moving the embassy, with the Iran nuclear program. I wish he would have made the five pledges to lobby for uh, reversing same-sex marriages over uh, over Kellen Hodges and, and reinstating the constitutionality of DOMA. And bringing, uh, you know, and, and dealing with abortion issues where we could have our children born. Um, and also bringing God back into prayers and into the schools with the Bible readings at the public schools. He didn't make those promises. As a matter of fact, he has accepted homosexuality. I would say, I don't know whether I would say he's pro-homosexual, but he has come out and said he's accepting that law and he's not going to attempt to lobby to reverse it. So we have to ask ourselves, if those are the things that are important to God, uh, and of course Israel's a big deal um, then you know where are we at in, in position with that positionally so what we have right now is a real estate magnate who wrote a book in the 80's called The Art of the Deal, Donald Trump who has built real estate empires who has a son, Jared Kushner who's a Jew, I believe he's a practicing Jew son-in-law, 36 years old who's also a real estate developer uh, if you ever wanted a presidential administration in place to broker a real estate deal, land for peace in the Middle East, you've got the qualifications you want in this administration. And it appears as though that's what they are starting to do. They want to restore the peace talks and the emphasis is on, uh, you know, you're going to see it start to shift in my estimation to land for peace again. There's no new alternative being forwarded here. And then you get into issues. It's not dealing with biblical problems. Jerusalem and Zechariah 12 and elsewhere where those those are strict warnings about that kind of behavior because uh, splitting up the land of Israel, dividing the city of Jerusalem is not biblically endorsed. God is bringing Jews back into the land. Those Jews need places to live. They need the settlements to be sp spreading, not being contracting. 
A time is going to come where there will be a war. I believe it's in Psalm 83 where it concludes the Arab-Israeli conflict. Uh, I've written a book on it called Psalm 83. It's in Prophecy Review. It says they want to come together, the Arabs around Israel. It would include Hezbollah, Hamas, uh, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq. Uh, I believe Egypt might be in there. The Palestinians, the Jordanians, the Saudi Arabians, the ones who rejected Israel's right to exist at the United Nations those nations in 1947, the ones that came to war against Israel in 1948 and subsequently in 67 and 1973, the ones that don't recognize officially Israel's right to exist as a Jewish state, says that they're going to come together, form a plan, and their motive is that the name, the name of Israel, that cut the nation of Israel off, that the name of Israel will be remembered no more. And in the book I put forward is that the Israeli Defense Forces, as part of that prophecy, will win that war. They exist in fulfillment of Bible prophecy today. This is where this is going. In my estimation, diplomacy will fail, and when diplomacy fails, wars begin. Uh, and, and in this case, Israel will win that war. They will expand territorially. So the world wants Israel to shrink. But I can point out about a dozen stories that say just about to happen. Yeah, you know, um, you said a lot there, Bill, and one thing that we we've seen, you know, he's uh, with with Trump and the the campaign promises, he's met, been met with a lot of resistance, and you know we're only what a hundred and and less than one hundred and sixty days in, but I I agree with you when you talk about the the land for peace deal or the Middle East peace process for somebody who wrote the book The Art of the Deal, it, that that's one thing that um you know is, is everybody should keep their eyes on, and we know he's sending people like Kushner and and. Uh, you know, his first Middle East trip, Saudi Arabia, Jerusalem, and Rome. Um, there's a lot there. And, you know, we, we, uh, I think we're just beginning to see some of the things that he's going to be doing. And the, uh, but with back with, back to the embassy, we, uh, saw the, the, at first he pushed to do this. And then we saw some pullback saying, well, it's not going to be done this year. It might not be done in the first few years, but they're still going to try to get it done. But there, uh, you know, in the world of prophecy and the world we live in, it definitely is amazing times. And, uh, just one thing I want to point out too is the, the, uh, appointment of the Supreme Court Justice. There is, uh, and has been talk that there are going to be, uh, a number of other Supreme Court Justices whose Trump, Trump might have to fill their positions. That's yet to be seen, obviously. But, uh, when we talk about abortion and things, from what I've seen, he, Either this by design or by accident, it seems to uh, that he's trying to revert things back to states' rights, or he chooses not to get involved in certain issues. But again, it's still early on in the presidency. He's been up against a, a mountain of of uh, lies and, and uh, made up stories. So I think a lot still yet to be seen. Uh, but it should be very interesting either way. Well, you know, I I really hope he's successful in his uh, plan to accomplish. Many of those campaign promises, um, you know, I have children and grandchildren living here. I wish only well for this country. But I also have, uh, I step outside the forest from the trees and I look at what's going on globally. I look at all the Bible prophecies that I'm paying attention to. They are stage setting, every one of them. I, I can't, I, I wish I could find something in the world that's going on that does not point to the fact that all the end times biblical prophecies are converging. And that, to me, is an indicator that we're living deep into the end times. And once one Bible prophecy starts to happen, and I can list some that have no preconditions at this point, that could happen now at the present time, 
Um, we are now then plunged into an entirely different world because end times biblical prophecies are globally impacting. And so, you know, I, there are intervening variables is the word I like to use that may come in and, and usurp its, uh, attention upon Donald Trump. I mean, I, I wish he will, I hope he succeeds. However, he may fail. The circumstances about him are so, uh, intense. And like I said, it's high stakes poker in the Middle East right now. The weapons over there are incredible. I mean, Hezbollah were estimated to have roughly 150,000 fairly high-tech missiles, not like these primitive katushas that Hamas was firing in Israel. They could hit a bank of targets strategically uh, with pinpoint accuracy. Israel is very concerned about that. They're warning that uh, it came out recently that one general said that the 34 war, they, 34 day war they had with Hezbollah. Well, in 2006, the damage they did in 34 days they could do in just 48 hours, I think was, was, was this quote. Um, they're, they're ready to levy a, a, a major war in the Middle East and, and, and prepare to do so. And now you see what's going on in Syria right now with these concerns. I mean, just the other day, might have been yesterday or today, uh, Russia flew a jet alongside within, I think it was about five feet of the wings of one of our American jets. Five feet. Right. Yep. Yeah, they could actually see the Russian pilot in the cockpit from the American. I mean, we're talking about muscles and swords, saber rattling and muscles flexing over in the Middle East with superpowers. Um, I just, at any given moment, something could break loose. North Korea, Russia could take down one of our jets. Uh, someone Israel could strike Iran's nuclear facility, which is also a biblical prophecy, not necessarily Israel, but in Jeremiah 49, it looks like Iran's nuclear facility takes a hit becomes a nuclear disaster. Um, you know, Damascus could get destroyed. Uh, that's another biblical prophecy. Um, the list goes on and on. And so Donald Trump is trying to pick a dog in the fight over there. And there's only one dog to pick in that fight, and that's Israel, because God's going to bless them. He's got plans for them. And so, but Bill, in the process... You can hold that thought. To... We're right up against the break. Folks, our guest is Mr. Bill Salas. His website, prophecydepotministries.net. Just search Prophecy Depot. Uh, you'll find him. He's got all kinds of great stuff there, a blog. He's got news. You can get his books there. He's got a whole bunch of content. I would urge you to check it out. That's prophecydepotministries.net. We'll be right back with Bill Salas on the other side. Don't go anywhere. This hour is Mr. Bill Salas. His website, prophecydepotministries.net. He's uh, been a regular guest on the show in the past. It's been a little bit since he's been back on. He's got a few new books, and you can find them on his site or on Amazon. His latest books, uh, The Now Prophecies, which is from last year, and the latest book, Apocalypse Road, was released in January of this year. And we're going to talk a little bit about that here in the in a few moments. Yeah. And folks, visit... I big finger. No, I just, I just want to make sure people... You know what, folks? Visit Portable Solar LLC. That's Portable Solar LLC. Joe was talking about this earlier in the program. Portable Solar LLC. You know, 99% of installed solar systems don't work if the power grid 
fails, okay? Well, Portable Solar LLC, they've got the solution. They've got just the system. They've got the equipment. They've got the knowledge. You know, we're looking at uncertain times. We're looking at threats to the grid. We're looking at threats, whether it's an EMP or, or whatever. You need power. More power, Scotty. Well, who are the power professionals? Portable Solar LLC. Go to portablesolarllc.com. Have a look around. If you want to protect those uh, that you love, if you want to provide power when others won't, Portable Solar LLC is your answer. Joe, I'm going to kick. I just want to kind of put the exclamation point on um, the information you provided earlier. I think that's, that's important. So Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's get back to our guest, Mr. Bill Salas. Uh, before the break, we were talking about the Donald Trump's uh, election, the agenda, his campaign promises, and uh, prophecy in pertaining to Israel, the Middle East. Um, Bill, I'm going to throw this out there. Uh, what we've seen in the Middle East, when, when Trump was running, a number of his campaign promises were to keep America out of uh, out of other countries, you know, warring unnecessarily like we have been for, for decades. And a few other things with the Middle East, but we see that it's not so easy for him to to get these things done. I think there's been more troop deployments in Afghanistan, and we see, you know, him, he launched that uh, 59 missile, Tomahawk missiles into Syria, and we see the the warmongering between North Korea and the U.S. Any concern that uh, at least with North Korea that it's more than than rhetoric this time around? And and what do you think um, is in store for this administration in the Middle East? Well, we'll start with North Korea. Um, that's a big issue, and that could explode at volatility in, uh, at any given time. Um, we're currently flexing our muscles over there in the Middle East. We have to keep an eye on it. Uh, there's a crazy president over there, who uh, Kim Jong, who wants to, uh, in desperation, he could try to, try to hit us. He could hit, you know, Hawaii. With the, his goal is to with his intercontinental ballistic missiles to do damage. If he thinks he's going down. Uh, he might take someone down with him. So uh, I think Donald Trump is right to be over there uh, pressing in on China, uh, you know, having warships in the area there. He may have to deal with that. Like I said, there's intervening variables that we have going on. When it comes to North Korea, you know, what, what I do with my ministry is I, I share the secular worldview that you get on the mainstream news media, but I also also like to take it to the, present the biblical narrative and the prophetic perspective. Uh, we have the Bible. It, Bible prophecy is, is issued by God, and there's a whole lot said to the final generation in the Bible. I believe we are that final generation. So we need to say, is there anything specifically dealing with certain areas? And there's a ton of things said, certainly about Israel, Iran, Russia, Egypt, etc., even, even the Gaza, a little old Hamas over there. Uh, there's not a lot said about North Korea or, you know, India. It's hard to even find India and Pakistan in the Bible. So we, we, we have to do our best to guess at what could happen there. But that's really all it is, is conjecture and a guess. Um, but then again, when it comes to other areas, what we, which shifts your, to your second part of the question, the Middle East, uh, we don't have to guess at a lot of things. I mean, there's, there's certain prophecies written, like I said, centuries ago that are on my radar right now that we could wake up tomorrow and they could be happening. One would happen leading sequentially to the other. Uh, like I said in the beginning 
part of the show, I call them the now prophecy. So I'll, I'll take an example. We'll look at Iran. That is the elephant in the room over there. I mean, Benjamin Netanyahu has been lobbying back over the last decade about that being the elephant in the room, that being the greatest concern, the existential threat to the existence of the Jewish state. Now, you know, we're two years into this joint comprehensive plan of action treaty. We've got eight more years or so left on it. Um, Iran is going to come around and want that. If they don't already have a nuclear weapon, they're going to put one together. And the intercontinental ballistic missiles they're working on, uh, sharing technology with North Korea more than likely, uh, this is a real livid threat. Now, there's a prophecy in Jeremiah 49, verses 34 through 39, written around 596 B.C., dealing specifically with the in Iran today, it's called ancient Elam, E-L-A-M, that hugs the Persian Gulf. It's where the Bashar provinces, Bashar nuclear reactor is in there. It is the crown jewel of Iran's nuclear program. It is a strategic target to be struck. It is a nuclear disaster waiting to happen. It sits, it is built where three tectonic plates converge. It was built initially, started to be built in the 70s by the Germans, but when the Iranian revolution took place in 1979, I tailed it out. The tried to uh, finish it, but they weren't able to, so they contracted the Russians in 1990s to complete the project. So you have a 40-year-old facility that's operational filled with Russian nuclear fuel rods that has got a 30-year-old cooling system. No one in it capable of, of handling a disaster like that in Fukushima that is a target. And now with this joint comprehensive plan of action in place, Russia's contracted to build a couple more in that province, nuclear facilities, and China's also uh, trying to hook up with Iran to build nuclear in Iran. Iran is going to go nuclear unless it's prevented, and, and Israel knows that. And so the prophecy says that there's going to come a point in time, Jeremiah tells us, it's only six verses, but they are so potent. And I invite your, your viewers and listeners to read Jeremiah 49, verses 34 through 39. I have a book on this, by the way, called Nuclear Showdown in Iran, Revealing the Ancient Prophecy of Elam. And also in my Now Prophecies book, I talk about this prophecy. But what Jeremiah said is at a time in the future where the Lord would be fiercely angry with the leadership of Israel. Not Israel, excuse me. Iran. And I believe that time is now. Um, basically, Iran wants to wipe Israel off the map. It's got a radical regime in there trying to get nuclear capabilities to do that. And we know that he's he's upset with them because of the leadership, because he says in the prophecy he's going to destroy the kings and the princes, and you don't destroy good leadership. And the prophecy tells us why. It says it's because they want to launch something lethal somewhere, and the Lord's going to prevent that, because it says he's going to break their bow at the foremost of their might. At the foremost of their might, could this be nuclear? Well, it looks like it, because what happens when the disaster occurs, when the bow is broken at the foremost of its might, it says that there will be a worldwide scattering of the indigenous population hastily. It'll be like a humanitarian crisis. They will have to get out of there quickly. And it says there will be no nations where the outcasts of Elam, the Iranians, don't go. And so the Lord is trying to bring Jews back into the land of Israel. We're told in Ezekiel 39, verse 7, he's someday going to make his holy name known in the midst of his people, Israel. And the na they won't profane it anymore, and the nations will know he's the Lord. That's what God is on God's calendar right now. He's bringing Jews back into the land, the J Israelis, and that says that and they'll know that I'm the Holy One in Israel. So it requires in Israel, it requires Israelis for God's plan to make his holy name known to the world and Iran wants to wipe that little Jewish state off the map so we've got 
God at loggerhead with the Iranian regime over there. And in my estimation, we're not told who creates the disaster in Iran. It, it's, uh, it says that there's enemies at the time in Iran. I mean, if you look at the news headlines today, Iran has all kinds of enemies. The Sunnis are concerned with Iran. Israel's concerned with Iran. Saudi Arabia, of course, being the, one of the lead Sunni, country, Sunni countries concerned with Iran. Matter of fact, Saudi Arabia just laid an ultimatum on Qatar. Uh, you know, stop having relationships with Iran. Stop supporting Hamas and the Muslim Brotherhood. Um, you know, this is getting livid over there. The international community is concerned about uh, Iran's, uh, for a couple of reasons, they're trying to spread their hegemony throughout the Middle East to establish a Shiite caliphate. And they're threatening to shut off the Strait of Hormoz, which at its narrowest strip is 21 nautical miles, to prevent the flow of oil, Arab oil, and Middle East oil getting out into the nations. And still about a third of the world's oil goes through there. That would just really put a major catastrophe in, in global economies. So, you know, there's a lot of reasons to be concerned about Iran right now, who is apocalyptically minded. They, they believe if they hasten apocalyptic condition in the Middle East, they will hasten the, it will bring about the coming of their, their Messiah, their Shiite Messiah, the, they call him the 12th Imam, the Mati. I mean, they're not a rational actor. So, um, you know, are, these are biblical prophecies that could happen at this point in time. That's just one of them. If that happens, you now have just kicked off a hornet's nest in the Middle East. You've opened up Pandora's prophetic box, and you can't put the lid back on it. I can go through a whole bunch of lists of repercussions that I think will happen. I mean, I could spend the whole show talking about the Middle East, Joe and Doug, but, uh, you know, what, what's your next question? And if you want, we'll come back here to the Middle East. Well, staying with the Middle East just for one moment. I remember you... Uh, your, when your book first came out, the uh, Psalm 87. Psalm 83, right? Or Psalm, I'll get it right, honest. Um, what, in, a, in a paragraph, perhaps, what have you seen coalesce since, the, since writing that book? It, that, that, I know many things, but coalesce that, that maybe you looked at and said, and said okay, Right on the money with with uh, with what I have written specifically. Right, and and Psalm eighty three, I mentioned it in the first section of the show. Uh, just quickly, well, by way of review for people who just tuned in, uh, written three thousand years ago by Asaph, the psalmist who was King David's worship leader, but also was a prophet. We're told in Second Chronicles twenty nine thirty, like Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and he wrote twelve psalms. And those 12 Psalms, which are Psalm 73 to Psalm 83, it was, uh, could be 74 to 84, and Psalm 50, I, I might have that wrong. But Psalm 83 is the most prophetic by far. Now what he said is that there's going to be an Arab coalition that comes together to form a, a confederacy to destroy the nation of Israel and banish the name of Israel forevermore. And we see that that has been the, a prophecy in process since the founding of modern day state, Jewish state in 1948. Like, like I said they've warred against Israel, they've formed, uh, got an Arab League now in place. All the requirements for Psalm 83 are in place. And those Arab countries, even though there's a couple of fragile peace treaties between Egypt and Israel and Jordan and Israel, they don't like the Jews. I mean, they are Muslim countries. Uh, at this point, there's some uh, catering to each other with Saudi Arabia and Egypt because the, the old saying in the Middle East, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Well, they're all concerned about Iran. And Donald Trump is seizing the opportunity to facilitate those kind of relationships. Matter of fact, I think your last guest talked about the, the new point man that has been appointed in Saudi Arabia 
Uh, he's he's going to likely try to show some favor to Israel, and he's going to come down heavy on Qatar. You know, so there are dynamics happening in the Middle East that is uh, Donald Trump is trying to capitalize on, but they're very dangerous dynamics. I mean, the 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 Muslims, you know, you're never going to see, even though Saudi Arabia may want, uh, may allow Israel to fly over some of its airspace to attack Iran, a common denominator is their concerns about Iran. You will never see Saudi Arabia allowing Jews to go into Mecca or Christians to go into Mecca uh, and things like that. So, you know, we're dealing with just a, a political, uh, bunch of political expediency and wrangling going on at this point. At some point, the dust is going to settle. Events are going to trigger one event or prophetic event upon another and you will ultimately will lead in my estimation to Psalm 83 and I think the key to the timing of that is in Zechariah 12 what talks about the fact that they're uh, Jerusalem it's, it all comes back to Jerusalem in Jeremiah 12 verses 1 through 9 he mentions Jerusalem nine times it says it's going to be a cup of trembling to those nations around Israel those Psalm 83 countries and in that day when it becomes a cup of trembling when they're trying to lay says the lay seas on Jerusalem and Judah he says that um, all the nations of the world uh, Jerusalem will become like a, a troublesome stone a burdensome stone that they, when they try to the nations of the world try to intervene and divide it up Jerusalem the the capital of the Jewish state and of course that's what they want to do the Palestinians want East Jerusalem they want it to be a capital of their own state it says it'll be a burdensome stone they won't be able to move it it'll cut them in pieces it says and then it says in that day when, when we see that going on and we're seeing that going on right now even with Donald Trump and Jared Kushner he says in that day Israel will go to war and it'll go to war with the surrounding peoples and it says uh, uh, that the captains the IDF of, of Judah uh, will be like a uh, fire, fire pan and a torch and it says the Arabs around them, the surrounding peoples, will be like sheaves, and the Israeli defense forces will just take them out. And that's just, in essence, to me, that would be Psalm 83. So we're looking at in that day being probably in this day. When Zechariah wrote this prophecy around 530 B.C., uh, none of those things were in play. Uh, he had gone back from Babylonian captivity to rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the first Jewish temple would have been destroyed by the Babylonians. Uh, it says in Second Kings 25, that all the houses in Jerusalem had been burned down, even the king's house, the temple had been burned down. So here come the Jews back after 539 B.C. when King uh, Cyrus of the Persian Empire conquered the Babylonians, sent the Jews back into the land with this enormous undertaking to restore Israel, rebuild the city. And at that time, none of the things that Zechariah 12 wrote about was in play. But right now, all the things Zechariah 12 verses 1 through 9 are in play. And I think what's being said there is that when you see this stuff going on, that is when the war is going to happen with the surrounding peoples in Israel. And Israel is just going to take them out. So I, again, would invite your your listeners to uh, to read Zechariah 12 verses 1 through 9 and see how that fits in with Psalm 83. And and I've I've got roughly about 150 verses connected with Psalm 83 in my Psalm 83 book. Those, those are all these books I'm talking about are available at my website, prophecydepot.com, prophecydepot, like homedepot.com. Yeah, and uh, Bill, your latest book, Apocalypse Road. I was just uh, checking out your site here and, and doing a little digging into the book. I have not read it, obviously, but your books are always uh, very good and, and very detailed, and you connect them with the, the scriptures and the prophecies. Um, let's talk about the, the book, if we, if we can, a little bit. Um, what, what's uh, what's this book about? Well, Apocalypse Road is a sequel to Revelation Road, and 
I'm writing an end times trilogy as a novel, but also a biblical commentary. It's actually two books in one. So it's kind of like the first section of these books is like Tim LaHaye's Left Behind. Um, and then the second section is I'm actually taking it a, a step further and actually explaining why I'm saying what I'm saying in the novel. Um, I'm trying to write it in this format, this series in this format, because Bible prophecy is not just for the scholars, it's for every man, woman, and child. And some people can understand the way things could lay out in a novel more than they can trying to understand, you know, biblical commentary. So we're trying to give them both opportunities, trying to paint the end times picture into a story. You know, it's one thing for us to talk about biblical prophecies like we are right now. Um, they're, they're interesting. <clears throat> I mean, it's just fascinating to think that God could tell the, the end from the beginning and we could actually see in our generation these things setting up of, of all the generations. And, but it's another thing to find out what's going to happen when they hit the pavement. I mean, they will affect us. So what I've tried to do is put a family into the middle of these prophecies as they find their fulfillment. Revelation Road was the first book. It goes through the prophecies we've talked about, Psalm 83, Elam, and Jeremiah 49, and it concludes at the end of the church age with the rapture, the vanishing of the Christians. And so Apocalypse Road picks up with what happens to those left behind, what happens to the family members that didn't believe in Jesus Christ, did not get raptured, and get left behind to deal with Ezekiel 38, the Russian-Iranian-led invasion, to deal with the revealing of the Antichrist, the harlot world religion of Mystery Babylon, um, what happens, and, and it's interesting, one of the main things I've done with this second book, Apocalypse Road, is Revelation Road covered the church age, Apocalypse Road covers what happens after the church age, but before the tribulation. See, a lot of people think, well, you have a rapture, and then you have seven years left of tribulation, which is the traditional timeline, but no, not necessarily. There's a gap between the rapture and the tribulation. It's an unspecified period of time. We don't know how long it will be. It will more than likely, in my estimation, be several years. Now, many of our prophecy colleagues have will admit that there's a gap uh, because the gap exists because it's not the rapture that starts the tribulation. It's the confirmation of a false covenant between Israel and some other party in Daniel 9.27 that starts Daniel's 70th week. We also call it the seven years of tribulation. Now, I'm the only one, to my knowledge, who has taken the reader into that period of time. Uh, although people have talked about it and acknowledge it, they've dropped the ball, and so I picked it up, and I'm going into it. And I'm showing how it's going to be a time where there'll be supernatural deception unprecedented. There'll be no restraint, when Second Thessalonians were told. It'll be a time when the supernatural becomes the natural. The paranormal becomes the new normal. Second Thessalonians tells us that uh, that mis the mystery of lawlessness is being restrained right now. Uh, and when that is no longer being restrained, the lawless one, the Antichrist, will be revealed. And it goes on to tell us that what else is being restrained is the supernatural deception that will propel this Antichrist into his his uh, charismatic world leadership. Uh, through, it says that signs and lying wonders with all the deception and the workings of Satan, it says in there. That's about to be, that restraint is about to be removed, and this guy is about to be revealed. And, and this happens in the book of Revelation, chapter 6, uh, the seal judgments. We start to see this stuff happen. And so what I've done is I've taken the reader into the book of Revelation, into chapter 6, uh, and other places, and we started laying out, you know, most of the teachers would say, well, the seal judgments in Revelation chapter 6, uh, put us into the seven year tribulation period. 
I present arguments to say I don't think so. I pull out the first five sealed judgments, and I put them into this gap period. And, and I make it very relevant to the reader because right now, if the rapture were to happen at any given moment, in that same split second, people we know and love who don't believe in Jesus Christ get plunged into this perilous period, which not many people have written about. So this book is incredibly important for people right now to understand what happens when we get taken out of here as believers in the rapture to the ones we love who get left behind. Very interesting stuff, Bill, and I do look forward to, to reading the book. Folks, again, go to prophecydepot.com or prophecydepotministries.net. Check out the book, Apocalypse Road. You can not only get the book, but uh, Bill's got DVDs with the book, a DVD with the book, and, and much more. You can uh, get it there in his, in his last book, The Now Prophecies. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure we read that, Dan. At least I did. Um, that's uh, That was a book that he released last year. But again, yeah. his latest book, yeah. Apocalypse Road, was released in January. And uh seems like a very good read. Yeah. Indeed it is. We, we got about uh, three minutes to, to the bottom of the hour break, uh, Bill. Uh, in three minutes, where do you want to? What can we cover here in this in this little three minute uh, slot? Well, I think what's really important that I'd like to emphasize uh, to your listeners and viewers is that we are living more than likely generation the evidence to that is not only the existence of Israel which they're celebrating you know they they just recently celebrated their uh, what was it, their 69th birthday yeah I believe it was um, that was a key indicator that the world hourglass made its final turn and that the grand the grains of sand are uh, almost run out in that bottom chamber of the world hourglass but more so now we are looking at all the end time signs are converging Russia's relationship with Turkey and Iran um, you know that's in Gog invasion of Ezekiel. We're looking at the technologies that exist with, where no one can buy or sell and let's say take a mark, you know, by perhaps a biometric technology. That's in Revelation 13. That's something the Antichrist will use. We're looking at all these things, the weapons that are fashioned, etc. And it tells us right now that we are more than likely living not in the, only in the end times, but deep into the end times, which is the central theme of the Bible, the latter days, the latter years, the time of the end. And, and that generation, which I believe we are, has more information written to it. It's, it's Revelation is God's gift for that generation. And so what I try to encourage people is that don't just get the secular worldview. Get the biblical narrative and prophetic perspective. Uh, we offer this in our books and DVDs, and, and so do many other Bible prophecy experts out there right now. There's an abundance of good literature out there for people to get tuned into. What does God have to say about this time? You know, Noah needed to know that a flood was coming. That was very relevant for him. I call that his now prophecy. Joseph needed to know that a seven years of famine was coming, but the good news is he has seven, seven years to prepare for that, seven years of plenty. Uh, Jeremiah tried to warn the people in the southern kingdom of Judah that 70 years of captivity was coming. Well, God is trying to warn us that there are certain things that we need to be aware of right now also. Uh, he, he didn't issue Bible prophecy to impress us, but to inform us. Uh, he's not a God with too much time on his hands. He holds all time in his hands. And the reason he gives us Bible prophecy, which is outsourced from him, uh, biblical predictions with 100% accuracy, is to show, prove his sovereignty. Only he can declare the end from the beginning but also to equip us for the days in which we live. And it can save lives. Uh, Jeremiah saved many lives by people being prepared to not fight the Babylonians, but to submit and go into captivity. And the main thing I emphasize is it can save souls. 
Bible prophecy is a great evangelical witnessing tool. I came to know the Lord through studying Bible prophecy, the book of Revelation, taught by Chuck Missler. So uh, I, I'm all about letting people know, look, God wants you to have some very important information right now. Uh, don't just get, don't shortcut yourself just with the secular worldview on Fox, CNN, this sort of stuff. Certainly watch it, see what the analysts and the experts have to say. But realize that a lot of those things they're talking about, which they cannot tell you what the future will hold. Uh, the Bible can't. And so use that as your source for the most accurate information so you can navigate your way through the times in which you live. Man, that, that's so true. And I, I think that, that people today um, who don't superimpose, overlay biblical prophecy over the, the current events, over the newscasts of current events, are missing out, missing out intellectually missing out uh, the, of the of the clues the contextual analysis of the current events but also they're um, they're woefully uh, misinformed or uninformed I should say very important indeed we're, we're going to have Bill Salas on f- uh, for one more segment uh, th- this is incredible we're living in incredible times and prophecy is a gift as Bill Salas said it's a it's a gift for that final generation, and that to me, I don't know that that kind of makes me. Uh, it warms me. It warms my heart. It makes me feel good. We're right back with Bill Salas for our final segment. Don't go anywhere, folks. Hagman Report, HagmanReport.com, Global Star Radio Network. Stay where you're at. Visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. Shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. Uh, folks, I'm going to direct your attention to MasterPreps.com. MasterPreps.com. Wow. Uh, MasterPreps.com, uh, the sponsor of our show, MasterPreps.com. That's MasterPreps.com. Take a visit there. High-quality items, made-in-America items. I mean, anything, everything you possibly want from uh, cooking uh, utensils, uh, cooking frying pans. To, I mean, it is, it'll blow you away. Absolutely, Eric said. It's insane. I mean, wow. Look at the products. Folks, visit masterpreps.com. Again, welcome to the Hagman and Hagman Report family. Masterpreps.com. I mean, wow, it's insane. Masterpreps.com. Are you ready for what comes next? Hi, I'm Grace Gonzalez from Training Post in the Woods. We are an American family owned company founded and built on skills and knowledge gained from responding to aging major disasters in the U.S. and around the world. We found that most people don't have enough food and water to survive, let alone any medicinals to save their life. We're offering 25% off our must-have American Heritage Armies kit. It contains 12 homeopathic armies, a booklet that goes over everything in your kit, and our brand new book, Major Disasters Lessons Learned. Just enter coupon code HAGMAN. In life or a disaster, you must be able to take care of yourself. 
You may not be a medical doctor, and your grandmother and your great-grandmother probably weren't either. But they still knew how to minister to their family's health issues. And so can you. Check out our American Heritage Journeys kit at www.changewithwoods.com. Your life may depend on it. Hello, everyone. This is Joe Charles, the guy whose voice is heard announcing for the Hagman and Hagman Report right here on YouTube and across the Global Star Radio Network. There have been many people wondering whose music is being played during those breaks. Well, you guessed it. And we're very pleased to announce that all that music and 11 brand new songs from the CD New Jerusalem is set for release on April 10th for download on iTunes. That means you can help support my ministry and be blessed by this awesome, inspiring recording. I have been fortunate to work with some phenomenal musicians from around the world that helped us put this recording together in the studio. Simply go to joecharlesmusic.com and click on the iTunes link. Or, if you'd rather have a CD, we'll send one right out to you. Just leave me your email and we'll get right back to you. And thanks to Doug and Joe Hagman for making this all possible. God bless. Our guest is Mr. Bill Salas. His website, prophecydepotministries.net, prophecydepot.com. Check out his latest book, Apocalypse Road. It's available on Amazon and on his website. Uh, we've been talking about a lot of things pertaining to prophecy, the Middle East, Donald Trump, and we got a, uh, an interesting, some interesting areas to get into in this segment. Uh, so let's jump right in. Bill, we were talking about the this being the year of a number of important anniversaries that not only uh, line up, but they also uh, are significant to Israel, not only for America, but Israel, more importantly than, than the rest of the world. Let's get into this a little bit. Yeah, you know, it is interesting, um, and, and I don't like to make make a lot out of these things, but, you know, we're living at a point in time, like I said at the very beginning of the, the uh, program, that the ancient biblical predictions were not to remain on their parchments indefinitely, that they're going to roll off those parchments and pound down on the pavement and pack a powerful global punch. Um, so basically, we have to look at these things and treat them with a, a degree of seriousness, these anniversaries. Now, what we've got, you know, I know a lot, a lot of your viewers are probably September 23rd scenario where it's being connected with Revelation chapter 12. I'll be honest with you, I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. I'm not going to park there. I don't put a lot of merit to that. Um, the the way I treat Revelation chapter 12 is that's that's all about Israel, those first uh, handful of verses. Uh, it's, it's talking about what's going on in Israel. It's a segue in the book of Revelation that breaks off and says, okay, here's Israel represented by the, the sun, the moon, the stars. Uh, she gives birth to the man-child that's about he gets caught up and then the second three and a half years the remnant of Israel gets persecuted now the Catholic Church will say they're that woman in, in Revelation chapter 12 and so but you know there, there's a, there's a, all kinds of stuff on YouTube on that thing I would say that be careful of that I see that as nothing much more than a Mayan calendar type scenario um, but you know again I'm not an expert on it. I'm I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. What I'm concerned about is some of these other interesting anniversaries in 2017. So, for instance, the reunification of the uh, nation of Israel in Jerusalem, uh, the Six-Day War in 1967 in June, 
we just celebrated that 50 year reunification. Uh, you know, it's interesting. It was a perfect time. Should Donald Trump have wanted to move the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, uh, that would have been a great time to celebrate the 50 year reunification of Jerusalem when the Jews took over, uh, you know, Jerusalem and got the Western Wall and they nearly tripled at that time. Now, of course, since then, they've given back portions of the Sinai and uh, let the Gaza go crazy to Hamastan over there now. But, uh, you know, the, what Donald Trump did on June 1st, instead of, you know, moving the embassy, he signed that waiver that's been in place since 1969, which gave him another six months to defer uh, dealing with moving the embassy. Well, 1995 law came out with the Congress said he, that they could move the embassy to Jerusalem. But that's interesting. We've had the 50-year anniversary of that. We've got the 500-year anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, and the Pope is supposed to celebrate that anniversary when Martin Luther went and hammered his 95 uh, thesis on the Church of Wittenberg. Um, that's a powerful thing. Look what happened through, through the church age when Protestant Reformation happened. At that point, you had Council of Trent came forward back way back when. You had, um, um, you know, you had the, all the, uh, pers- the yeah, inquisitions were going on for a while back, even at that time. And now, 500 years later, we're going to celebrate that anniversary. And, and uh, so Pope's going to celebrate it. There's rumors, and I don't know how true this is, that the Pope is going to announce the Reformation is over with some Protestant leaders. Now, don't take my word for that. We'll have to wait and see. It may be too thorny of an issue for the Pope to do that at this point, just like it was too thorny of an issue for Donald Trump to move the embassy. Uh, but that's the 500-year anniversary coming up. Then you have the uh, 100-year anniversary of the collapse of the Ottoman Empire, who controlled the Middle East for 400 years, between 1517 and 1917. And that enabled the ability for the Arab states to be uh, settled again. You know, uh, Iraq, and uh, I think it was Iraq, I think it was 1935, I don't have the dates right. Uh, Egypt, I think it was 1922. Iran became Persia in 1935. Uh, and Israel became a nation in 1948. There would be no Israel if there was still an Ottoman Empire in control over there. And, of course, that's a lot of the issues you see going on between the Sunnis and the Shiites. Who's going to have the control over the the caliphate, uh, especially in the Middle East and spreading out its tentacles throughout the world. So we have that anniversary. And you also have the 100-year anniversary of the uh, Fatima Portugal apparition of Mary, where she came to those three shepherd kids and uh, on several visitations and actually uh, left serious messages, secrets for them to reveal, dealing with Russia even. Yeah. Uh, in fact, Russia, I think it was the third and sixth secret. I'm not sure on the exact ones. Uh, and that's huge. Pope Paul has just celebrated that among 500,000 people, I think, was there. Uh, so we, let's talk about that for a minute, because that's a pretty powerful event right now, that 100-year anniversary. And, and, Bill, if I can, um, the the uh, what the Fatima, is this an accept? Is the, does the Catholic Church accept this um, oh, yeah. flat out? Yeah. You, you, have, you have lots of apparitions that have happened throughout the church age are accredited, officially accredited by the Catholic Church. Some aren't, but they're they're followed by many of the pilgrims. The Catholic faithful make pilgrimages to these places, like Princess Mergigori, not necessarily accredited by the Catholic Church, although they're looking at it closely right now. That was in 1981 in Mergigori of Bosnia-Herzegovina. Uh, 
uh, lots of people go there. Uh, Zaytun, Egypt was a one in 1968 through 1970 a uh, over a church in Cairo, suburbs of Cairo. Uh, was seen by millions of people for over two years over periods of time. Sometimes Mary would come. Uh, supposedly they call her Mary. I'm going to tell you why that's not her in just a minute. Um, seen over the Scottish church in illuminated capacity. Looked like a female. Um, seen by millions. Muslims included. Gamal Nasser, the president of Egypt, witnessed this. It was on TV. You Go to YouTube, folks. I'm telling you, type in Zaytun apparitions and you, you'll be astounded. Uh, you had Lord's France. 58, Guadalupe, Mexico in 1531. You know, um, it's interesting. The Mary apparitions go way back even before the Catholic Church happened. There were people who were talking about, well, not so much to say the apparitions, but the sacred heart of Mary, which was embraced by the Catholic Church. You know, the uh, she's uh, she got a sacred heart. Um, they believe that she's got the, an immaculate heart is what that evolved into. They believe she's got an immaculate heart. Mary, the mother of Jesus, who the Catholics believe these apparitions are, the Blessed Mother, Our Lady of Fatima. She's got a, the Queen of Heaven. I mean, her infamous names go on and on in the, in the Catholic uh, uh, you know, names for her. But uh, basically, you know, she's running around a supernatural phenomena. Wherever she shows up, things happen. Miracles happen. Convert, Catholic conversions happen. The, the one great example is in 1917. We're celebrating the 100-year anniversary of that in Fatima, Portugal. Uh, shows up with these three shepherd kids, gives them several visitations, messages, and tells them, listen, she's going to appear in October of 2000, uh, 1917. Now, World War One was going on at the time, by the way. And she says, I'm going to appear in October. I want you to get people here. And 70,000 people show up, and it's, it's, they're, it's, wet, it's raining, it's wet outside, the ground's wet, they're wet, people are coming to get healed. 70,000 people, which is a lot of people making a pilgrimage back then. And sure enough, she appears. And they have what's called the miracle of the sun, where the sun, they say it dances. And it actually did move. I mean, it, it moved. And when it did move, people were getting healed. Their clothes became dry. The ground became dry. Again, this is all on YouTube. You can follow this stuff. And people were converting to Catholicism. Now, the Pope has gone over there to celebrate the 100-year anniversary, and we're not talking in front of 70,000 people. This just happened about a month or so back. We're talking 500,000 people went there. And and the Pope has said on this 100-year anniversary that he's going to issue, issue plenary indulgences on this 100-year anniversary now going to tell you folks you know an indulgence is a uh, a uh, forgiveness of your temporal sins now the Bible tells us that our sins are only forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ <clears throat> he died for our sins the Lamb of God and if we put our faith in him whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life but the Pope is saying that you can have plenary indulgences now there's plenary which are full pardons, or there's temp, there's uh, partial indulgences, which are not full pardons. He's offering plenary indulgences. And all you have to do to obtain these, first of all, you do have to be a Catholic. You have to go to communion, which you have to do every week, by the way, or you are in jeopardy of, of going to hell uh, because that you can fall into a point where they call their mortal or grave sins. You have to faithfully take the, the Mass and go to communion. Um, you have to pray for the to get these indulgences. You have to pray for the in, 
the good intentions of the Holy Father. Okay, now let me, let's talk about that for a minute. This is the, the Pope, the Holy Father, who is the Vicar of Christ, who the catechism say he can do no wrong, and the Catholics have to do everything he says, and he can put together dogmas, papal infallibility, which the popes have done in the past. You have to pray for his good intentions. Now, this is the Pope who recently uh, acknowledged that the uh, Palestinian state at the Vatican uh, was supposed to pray for those good intentions. Um, whatever that means, however many good intentions he supposedly has, he's just a man, by the way. Yeah. And then you have to make a pilgrimage to Fatima if you want these indulgences. So 500,000 people went there. I presume you know, they got pardons. Um, you have to pray before any statue of Our Lady of Fatima. I mean, I'm sorry. Pray before an idol, before a statue. I mean, that is, that's one of the Ten Commandments. You know, to have idols. That's the thing that got Israel in all kinds of trouble. Now, this is a real supernatural phenomenon, folks, that's going on. And Mary, uh, this whoever she is, and, and listen, uh, we love, you know, at Prophecy Depot Ministries, we love Catholics. I'm not trying to bash Catholics. But even Mary said in Luke, uh, around verses 42 through 48, that her soul magnifieth God, her Savior, who had mercy on her. I'm paraphrasing, and I don't have the verses open. Who had mercy on her, his lowly maidservant. Now, the Catholic Church teaches that she has an, an immaculate heart, which means she is sinless meaning not only that she was sinless when God supernaturally impregnated her with his Holy Spirit for the Messiah Jesus Christ to be in her womb, but she was born sinless. And, and they got into trouble with that because people said, wait a minute, Mary died. She acknowledged she needed a Savior in Luke, and she died. And the wages of Bible are death. So she couldn't have been sinless if she died. So then they came out in the 1950s, I believe it was, with what they call the the, the Pope came out. I think it was Pope Pius XII came out with the uh, Assumption of Mary dogma, which Catholics have to believe. And what that says is that Mary didn't die, she assumed to heaven. <laughs> so, you know, listen, most Catholics don't even know about what they have to believe, and really hardly any Protestants know any of the stuff I'm talking about. But Mary promises... That she's um, this this apparition. She says she's going to be seen. Now here's what she says, and I believe Satan's got an end times plan for this Queen of Heaven. And and one of the apparitions' visionary messages says, "I wish to also tell you that before my apparitions end completely, meaning more is coming, I shall be seen by every denomination and religion throughout this world. I will be seen among all people, not for just a moment, but everyone will have a chance to see me as I appeared in Zaytun." which was 1968 to 1970 in Egypt. We just talked about that. I shall appear again so everyone may see me. Pray and pray and help my plans to be realized, not just here, but throughout the world. Now, this Mary figure is obsessed with several things. She wants to be the co-redemptrix, the mediatrix and advocate. Matter of fact, this 100-year anniversary of Fatima, there's a strong lobbying group going on to petition that the Pope would make her elevate her to the status of co-redemptrix mediatrix and advocate we're talking about her being involved in mediating in the process of salvation she is obsessed with the Catholics praying the rosary daily 
Now, I'm not exactly sure. I think that's like about 43 words. It's not just Hail Mary full of grace. And they're to recite this frequently throughout the day. And if they do, they are, she promises 15 things to them that are things. If you type in promises of the rosary, you'll see there's 15 of them. You read those and you'll find out these are things that only God can do. But somehow she's able to do them. By the way, she issued the rosary. Tradition has it around the 12th century. She came and gave the rosary. Said, here's what I want you guys to do, Catholics. I want you to pray this stuff because it's good for you. And then she's obsessed with creating world peace. And she wants to consecrate the world to her immaculate heart, which basically means converted to Catholicism. Uh, she wants to consecrate Russia to her immaculate heart. This is part of the secrets given to the visionaries of Fatima, to Sister Lucia. She's all about the importance of the Eucharist, which is where they believe that's called transubstantiation. The Catholics believe, unlike the Protestant, well, you know, your typical non-denominational churches that take uh, communion in remembrance of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, they believe that when the priest, and you have to be an anointed priest, Pope, Bishop, Cardinal, anointed priest, they believe when they do the communion, which Catholics have to do every Sunday, and on the holy days of the Catholic Church that are appointed, uh, there's six or eight of those or something like that. You've got to take... They believe that what happens is the the priest, he beckons Christ from leaving the right-hand side of the throne of God to come and inhabit the wafer, physically present, be present in the, the, the bread, the wafer, and in the wine, the elements of the Mass. They believe it's a metaphysical, mystical experience where Christ comes and it keeps the that's the reason they have to do it every Sunday is it keeps people in the graces of God uh, keeps them away from and if Christ is going to go to these great leaps and bounds to inhabit the wafer and inhabit the wine it's actually an insult if you don't show up for that and it's it's so powerful that they actually put these elements in a monstrance uh, a container so that people who can't visit the Mass can actually come and visit the presence of Christ subsequently because they keep it in a monstrance. Now, I'm I'm going to tell your listeners that that is bunk. All of the above, everything I just said. Um, Mary died. She was a beloved mother of Jesus Christ. This is a demonic feminine that Satan has concocted that's literally showing up um, and says she's going to return. And that whole thing about the presence of Christ in the Eucharist is, is nonsensical. Uh, Christ even told us himself, we would do this in remembrance of his sacrifice. You know, this is my body, the bread, etc. Matter of fact, let me leave this quote as we're starting to wind down on the hour. This is from Kimberly Hong, dealing with in particularly dealing with the Eucharist. Um, she's the wife of Dr. Scott Hahn, who's one of the leading Catholic apologists today. They had a book called Rome Sweet Home. And here's what she said. One evening, we had an opportunity to be at a Mass where there was a Eucharistic procession at the end. Eucharist meaning the wafer, the elements Christ is inhabiting it through transubstantiation, the Eucharist. I had never seen this before. As I watched row after row of grown men and women kneel and bow when the monstros passed by, I thought these people believe that it is the Lord and not just bread and wine. If this is Jesus, that is the only appropriate response. If one should kneel before a king today, how much more before the king of kings, the Lord of lords, is it safe to kneel? Is it safe, excuse me, is it safe not to kneel? But I continue to ruminate. What if it's not? 
If that is not Jesus and the monstrance, then what they are doing is gross idolatry. So is it safe to kneel? The situation highlighted what Scott had said all along. The Catholic Church is not just another denomination. It is either the true, it is either true or diabolical. So the Catholic Church has put itself, now I'm, that was the end of the quote. Now I'm, I'm telling you, the Catholic Church has put itself where it considers itself to be the one true church. Yeah. And it's either that or it's diabolical. There's no way around it. Even the Catholic apologists recognize this. Um, when we were in Orlando, Florida, with the Prophecy in the News Conference a few years ago, you were there, Bill. There was a big church right on the, I think it's the 95, where it's a, it a huge church and it and it had a statue of Mary and it said uh, the Queen, uh, Queen of Heaven. Is is that still uh, is that a Catholic thing? Or do they call Mary oh. the Queen of Heaven? Oh yeah, that's one of her most used names. You know, I mean the Queen of Heaven, absolutely. The Queen of Heaven's you know planning on coming back as she was seen in, she'll be seen by all the denominations as she was seen in Zaytun. That's her. Matter of fact, you know Donald Trump went on his uh, nine-day tour where he went to Saudi Arabia, then he went to Israel, then he went to the Vatican, then he went to the uh, uh, the uh, Europe summit. And just prior to that, you know, he's on a push for, you know, terrorism, uh, Mideast peace, and things like that. Um, just prior to that, the Pope had come out and said that he wants to entrust Mideast peace to the mother of peace and he's referring to the queen of heaven you know the, matter of fact I'm going to try to find a quote if I can while I got you on here I'm not sure I'll be able to but you know Mary actually took credit this apparition of Mary actually took credit for uh, ending world war one uh, I'm going to probably not find that quote in time but what I'm going to tell you what basically was said at the time of Fatima was said that I want you to, he, she told the shepherd kids, I want you to pray the rosary. And essentially what she said in doing that, you will enlist my ability to stop the war. I mean, she literally said that, that only the war could be stopped by her. And when the war stopped a year later, in 1918, um, you know, but many Catholics gave her credit for that. And so when the Pope comes along and says, when Pope Francis comes along and says, I'm going to entrust Mideast peace, to the mother of peace, he's talking about that. She's got a track record in the Catholic annals of stopping wars and bringing peace to the area. Now, Donald Trump, he wants to, he says this will be the deal, the deal to top all deals of Mideast peace. But the Pope's not trusting Trump to do that. He just, basically, you can Google search this. He's going to entrust Mideast peace to the mother of peace, the Queen of Heaven. <laughs> now, I was asked, cause that's one thing I remember that church and I remember that that slogan there, the Queen of Heaven. And I was just doing a quick uh, search, and I found the Jeremiah forty-four, uh, chapter forty-four, where it where it gets into this. And uh, this is where the the wives of the men of Israel were burning incense unto other gods, and they uh, called her the Queen of Heaven. And Jeremiah comes in and says that because the Lord can no longer bear the evil of their doings. Uh, and the abominations, which is referring to, you know, burning the incense and, and worshiping the Queen of Heaven. Uh, and it talks about how they sinned against the Lord and whatnot. But I was just wondering because, and, and 
I've never really looked into the, the Catholic Churches. Is this is an accepted teaching of the Catholic Church? I know that the the, the Fatima and stuff is is in that same realm, but I didn't know that the Catholic Church actually uh, promotes this. The Catholic Church, just a couple more things about them. They are replacement theologians. They do not believe Israel is uh, the fulfillment of Bible prophecy right now. They believe the Israel was the promises, but the Catholic Church is the children of the fulfillment. They're all millennial. They do, they're not looking for Jesus Christ to come in a pre-trib rapture. They believe that they need to do certain things in the world as the one true church to, um, you know, bring things together for the world. And, and they, they're going to rely on Mary to do that. They trust her for this sort of a thing. So we're dealing with a real situation here, folks. The, the Catholic Church, it's important for people to understand who they are. Now, the Queen of Heaven and some of her other... Um, I've got this stuff in my book, Apocalypse Road. If you really, I mean, I go through the catechisms. I, I, I indict the Catholic Church. I actually show how they're going to be cast into the sickbed of the Great Tribulation, and they will actually have Catholics will actually be be killed uh, by in judgment. Uh, that they're actually going to be drunk with the blood of the saints and the martyrs of Jesus in Revelation. This is a harlot world religion, and there and that's from Revelation seventeen six. Um, I show this stuff in my book through methodical research of apparitions, messages, catechisms, quotes and statements. Also, there's a great book out called The Queen of Heaven, written several years back by Jim Tetlow uh, and co-authored by Brad Myers. You know, if you folks really want to know what Satan's got planned through the Catholic Church, get Apocalypse Road, my book, and get The Queen of Heaven by Jim Tetlow. I mean, you're going to be blown away at what's going on there. And, And many people are afraid to come out on this stuff because... The Catholic Church is very powerful. And people say, well, Pope Francis, you know, he's he's such a nice guy. He could never be that diabolical. Well, you know, uh, I would beg to differ. When you're dealing with a situation after the rapture, when supernatural deception is not being restrained, lawlessness is abounding, which is sin metastasized, uh, the lawless one is coming onto the scene, the Antichrist, the world is in chaos with those sealed judgments. Wars are occurring, famines and scarcities are occurring, and is clamoring for a global government, a global religious scenario, which I believe is the fourth horseman of the four seals. And I get this all into my book. Um, they come, they come, and they they try to establish this harlot world religion in this point, which is in cahoots to church and state matrimony with the Antichrist to the harlot it says the, anti, the harlot sits on the beast in Revelation 17.2 the beast carries her to her hides the Antichrist from Revelation 17.7 that stuff's about to happen folks I mean and it's not going to be restrained and the Catholic Church in my estimation is part of Satan's end times plans and it's going to be it's going to be deadly and uh, so everything changes the situation will determine the behavior of the Pope whether it's this Pope or another one at that time recently Pope Francis came down heavy on African bishops that, that did not comply with him, I, I think he, he fired them, I'm not sure but I mean it was bad, you can read about this stuff um, He he's no Tiny Tim tiptoeing through the tulips you, you'll be surprised to know what this guy's capable of Bill Salas Thank you so much. You've you've really taken us to the end of the program. It's very interesting. Um, Pope says he's a pilgrim of peace, by the way. So, wow. Just an incredibly informative uh, broadcast with Bill Salas. Prophecy Depot. Ministries.net. ProphecyDepot.com. Prophecy Depot. Like Home Depot, except ProphecyDepot.com. 
prophecydepot.com. Any upcoming uh, appearances or, or presentations you're giving, Bill? Yes, actually, I am uh, preparing to do a whole month of July in Grants Pass, Oregon, Calvary Chapel of Grants Pass, um, four Sundays consecutively. Uh, I will be teaching on powerful Bible prophecies that are very relevant for our time. Um, and then um, trying to get on some TV shows coming up. Uh, we'll have dates on those soon. Those will be more into August and September. And then um, got the conferences coming up in October with Prophecy Watchers. Uh, 36 different speakers. That's powerful. You guys are going to want to go to that. And then I'm going to be debating Joel Ritson. Who the harlot is, he thinks it's Mecca. I'm going to put my arguments forward as to why it's the Catholic Church, and that's going to be at a Southwest Radio Conference in uh, November. So, yeah, got a pretty busy lineup coming forward. Sounds like it. And uh, we just we had Joel Richardson on just a little bit ago. That should be an interesting conversation. Interesting intellectual discourse indeed. Well, well Bill Salas, thank you so much for your gift of time, your gracious gift of time. It uh, It's always interesting, as, as, as usual. Uh, prophecydepot.com for all of your latest works. I can't, you're just a very pro- prolific author and the uh, number of books you've written just amazes me and the quality of the books is just incredible. So thank you for that and thank you for coming on. It was great to be on your show, you guys. Just keep up the great work. I'm so excited to see how many listeners you're now getting. Yeah, yeah. thanks. Thanks a lot. Yeah, we're, uh, we're expanding and it's, it's all because of the, the, uh, graciousness and the, uh, just, just the the listeners are the greatest. So our listeners are the greatest. Thank you, Mr. Salas. All right. Until next time, folks. That'll do it. Um, if anything does take place over the weekend, watch for watch HagmanReport.com. That's the place to be. HagmanReport.com. Anything that takes uh, place over the weekend, we will uh, take to the uh, either the airwaves or the website. Watch our social networking and, and folks, please um, subscribe to our YouTube channel. It raises our visibility. Follow us on our social networking feed. And we just want to say thank you. Thank you to each and every one of you for listening, for supporting us, for praying for us, for being part of our radio show. Joe? Absolutely. Until next week, stay safe, God bless, and have a great evening.